Hello and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we year by year explore the movies, music, and TV that most invaded our lives. I'm your host, Kindred Spirit, Rod, and I'm joined by Mrs. Education, Jess. Miss Lloyd. <laughs> no, Mrs. Education. Okay, all right. All right. It's a pun. I can, I can dig it. Hi, welcome to Media Made. So what we do here is we talk movies, music, and TV uh, this week, or today, we're talking about uh, music. It's a music episode, and we're going to be talking about the music of 1998. So what Jess and I have done is we have looked at a list of every music album released in the year 1998, and we've decided which one each of us have listened to the most. Um, and I, th- I think you've listened to your album all the way through, right? Yeah. yeah me too. Absolutely. Uh, we're continuing the trend of Rod having an album that is uh, super niche, very uh, non-mainstream. No. Where Jess has a mainstream hit on her hands. Yes, my mainstream though. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, but I, is this like one of the first times where it's like, this is an album you sought out and listened to on purpose? Yes and no. I think that like... At first, right, like all the, uh, not all of these, but a great many of these are radio hits. And again, I'm from a family that would just put on records. <laughs> no, no, no radio I've ever listened to. Really? Uh, n- not, not this. No, not really. Well, maybe the, the one. That's super sad for a white lad. Doo-doo-doo-doo. I listen to rock radio, you know, and, but I mean, that's the thing. I've, I think I have heard at least one of the, your songs on the radio. Yeah, absolutely. At least um, once. And I've heard plenty of these songs. They maybe they don't all get a lot of airplay as of now, obviously. But um, back in the day, absolutely. How old was I? Yeah, d- d- yeah. This album, like for a while, was like all over the place. So um, <clears throat> I heard a good deal of it that way, and from family things. But I, I did like years later when digital music became a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> download the album for myself. But we're not talking about your album. In the first segment, we're going to talk well, about we mine. Could. We could. Let's just let's just no, skip. No, let's no. just go talk to mine. We're very prepared. You, you, get, the, you get the main event today. <laughs> uh, because my album released March 10th, 1998, the debut album of this instrumental progressive rock supergroup. That is the Liquid Tension Experiment by the Liquid Tension Experiment. Yes, you got that wall of sound just pushing in right when we start here. Uh, yeah, so if you're asking yourself, what the heck is the liquid tension experiment? I don't blame you. Uh, it what is the heck? I'm asking you. What the heck? Very obscure. It, 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 you know, I, there, I have my reasons. And once I explain those reasons, it'll make a lot of sense. But um, here's the deal. I don't know how long this segment's going to be because this is going to be a very different conversation than what we normally have on these music shows. Yeah. Uh, because normally, we've talked about it. I'm very much a music. I focus more on the music when it comes to music. Instrumentation, you know, but, musicality. Right. Whereas Jess tends to focus much more on the lyrics and the words uh, expressed. Correct. Uh, that that what that's what makes you know this this dynamic uh, what it is. <laughs> Here's the thing: uh, Liquid Tension Experiment is all instrumental. Yeah. For the most part, very. It, it's all music here, folks. Yeah. I love it. I love. I love mood music. I love to listen to talented people do talented things. Agreed. So when you hear this crazy 
off the wall instrumentation in these these songs. I'm like, I, I dig it. This is this is this is my comfort food here. Uh, but Jess, less digging. A lot out of your depth here. Yeah. So I asked you to like, you know, confront and consume and engage with this music. You know, and you're, you were kind of forced to like to, to experience it in a different way than what you normally would with music in general. I was forced to by my husband, yes. Um, and we're, we'll talk about it. So I don't know how much we're going to have to actually say about these songs because it's, I don't know. I don't know how much you have to say about it. Uh, yeah. I, it's it's really going to be uh, very new for all involved kids. Yeah. So Liquid Tension Experiment. Um, I, I'm safe in saying this is the first time you'd ever heard of them. Absolutely safe in that. So Liquid Tension Experiment is actually, mm-hmm. in a way a side project of Dream Theater. My favorite band. Uh, members of Liquid Tension Experiment are members of Dream Theater, namely the drummer and guitar player. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes sense, you know? It's it's one step separated from my favorite band. That's why yeah. I know what they are. I was going to say, um, even though, like, I obviously knew that information already because we kid, you know, this is not a surprise for me. It may be a surprise for you kids. And I was thinking about, like, how you were introducing them. And I was like, you're using your dream theater voice. And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> it, it, it's it's a little bit more complicated than that. You know, it's like I was I didn't like, you know, know about Liquid Attention Experiment until like maybe a year or two after I discovered Dream Theater. And they became, you know, I became a big fan. I discovered Liquid Tension Experiment. Thanks to YouTube's algorithm. This is like one of the only times the YouTube algorithm comes through for me. You know, <laughs> uh, I remember sitting in my room, listening to Dream Theater or like music on YouTube. And in the Play Next, it was, I don't, they didn't even have Play Next back then. It was just like, you know, your related videos, right? More, right. more like this. <laughs> the next thing to pop up was Liquid Tension Experiment. And it was a song called When the Water Breaks. Uh, about uh, childbirth. In a way, yes, um, because uh, John Petrucci, the had, guitar player, his wife had just had a baby. Yes, yes. Um, the song starts playing, and I was like, "What is this? This is, <laughs> this is awesome!" But then, like the guitar player or the like a guitar solo hits, and I say to myself, "That sounds like John Petrucci of Dream Theater. What is this?" And I look it up, and it's like, "Yeah, that is him." And this is a, in a way, side project of a few of the band members from Dream Theater. Nice. So. I was like, okay, where do I hear more? So I went and listened to that <laughs> whole album. Give it to album, me now. Right? And that song wasn't included on this album here. This is their debut. We're, we're talking about Liquid Tension Experiment 1, mm-hmm. their first album. I first heard this album in particular because I bought it at Los Angeles' own Amoeba Records. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember going to Amoeba with my friend Steven. Steven. And uh, we, we were, it was the first time I'd ever been there. And uh, rest in peace, Amoeba Records. I think it's defunct now. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, we were just kind of like exploring around and finding like UCDs and, and stuff that sounded interesting. So right. I remember specifically going to the section to see if they had progressive rock music <laughs> that I had heard of or thought would be interesting. And I f- came across Liquid Attention Experiment 1. I picked it up. I listened to it. I liked it. And uh, the rest is history. Good history. So uh, should I try to explain the history of this band to get people up to speed? If I say no, will you listen to me? No. <laughs> then go ahead, sweetums. 1995, New York-based independent record label Magna Carta Records, then known for its many progressive rock slash metal acts, 
approached Dream Theater drummer Mike Portnoy about participating in a Rush tribute album called Working Man. So I am a working man. I get things done. That's a song. No. But it is a song, though. But it's not that song. <laughs> so Magna Carta, what they were doing at the time is they were releasing a lot of like tribute albums to popular uh, progressive rock bands like Rush, Pink Floyd, Yes, mm-hmm. Genesis. And they would get, you know, contemporary musicians who were also in the progressive rock scene to cover songs from those classic bands. Okay. So Mike Portnoy gets approached to do this, uh, to record for this this Rush tribute. And uh, that begins a relationship with Magna Carta Records and Mike Portnoy. The experience must have been a positive one because Magna Carta approached Portnoy once again sometime later with the opportunity to put together whatever project he wanted with whomever he wanted. It was just like, hey, we like working with you. Let's do something. And uh, they were like doing, they were also putting together like super groups. Mm-hmm. They were approaching people saying, hey, we want to put together a super group. Tell us who you want to play with. We'll try and make it happen. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. They reportedly said to him, quote, whatever you want to do, we'll get behind you and make it happen. Well, that's nice. Yeah. I was like, that's so rare. Because as we talked about in our 1997 music episode, uh, Dream Theater, uh, Mike Mike Portnoy's main gig was having a lot of issues. Uh, They couldn't even make music under their label. So he was creatively frustrated. Uh, So this seemed like a good outlet for him. And, uh, you know. He probably wasn't making a lot of money on this stuff. But at least he was making music, which is more than he could say for his day job. Exactly. Mike Portnoy developed a wish list of musicians he wanted to work with, and he and Magna Carta set out to secure talent for the project. By the end of 1997, a lineup of four musicians was finalized. Nice. In addition to Portnoy, the project included keyboardist Jordan Rudis, who had auditioned for Dream Theater back then. I was like, Jordan! Yep, yep. He was not a member of Dream Theater yet. He had auditioned for Dream Theater back in 1994, but had ultimately turned down the spot uh, in the band for a spot in the Dixie Dregs, which was like a jazz rock band. Right. And he also, like, that same year, like, released his own solo album. Oh, yeah. The man man was a workhorse, but it was like, I remember when we talked about it, uh, when we did that Dream Theater episode, Mm -hmm. uh, Mike Portnoy had said, Jordan Rudis was the best keyboardist I've ever seen. Right. So he clearly wanted to work with this man. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, he, get him in on the plan. Yep, yep. And it was basically just a, like, you know, hey, we want to make an album together. So it wasn't, like, probably a huge commitment on Jordan's part. Right, right, he, right. He's just like, oh, yeah, come on the studio. We'll record an album. You don't have to tour or anything. So probably nice. worked. Yeah. So so they never toured because it's a super group. Yeah. That, that wasn't the intention. Right. Legendary bassist Tony Levin was also on board, a prolific studio musician since the 70s. Levin had played on hundreds of albums for a variety of different acts by the time he joined this project. He had played with King Crimson, Peter Gabriel, Alice Cooper, Paul Simon, Art Garfunkel, Stevie Nicks, Pink Floyd, David Bowie, Ringo Starr, and John Lennon and Yoko Ono, to name just a few. Ringo Starr from the Beach Boys? <laughs> from the Beatles. I mentioned two Beatles there, by the way. Oh. Yeah, so, like, Tony Levin was, like, a legend. So, obviously, He was Mike- a Levin legend? Tony Levin, Levin? What was his last name? Levin. He was a Levin legend? He turned it up to 11. Dang it, yours was better. <laughs> so yeah, it was like clearly Mike Portnoy looked up to this guy. He was a hero of his. So mm. he's like, I want to work with Tony. Tony, Tony. And he was brought in. Finding a guitarist who filled the group's lineup proved a bit more difficult. Portnoy considered names like Dimebag Daryl of Pantera, Steve Morse of the Dixie Dregs, and 
Jim Matthews of Fate's Warning, but none could commit due to scheduling conflicts. I need to know why, how one gets a name, a nickname like Dimebag. I, I honestly don't know. I like Pantera, but like, I'm not like super into them. I haven't really dug into their You're a history. fan, not a stan. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Dimebag Daryl, he's a legend too. And I can understand why he would want to work with him, but none of those worked out. Portnoy's wife ultimately suggested going with Dream Theater bandmate John Petrucci. <laughs> Who just, do you want to work with? Hey, just just pull in your actual bandmates. I don't want to. Yeah, because he like, uh, there's a there's an interview that Portnoy did, or like it was like a VHS like drum video or drum DVD that he did mm-hmm. talking about the making of this album, and he said like I kind of wanted it to be my own thing. I wanted it to be completely independent of Dream Theater, but when you know it you came, can't find someone. Yeah, push came to shove. It was like. Why not, John? We already have great chemistry together. Why not just bring him on? It's like a lot. It's kind of like to ease yourself into it, right? Yeah. And on top of that, he wasn't getting to make music either. So it would have been like, yeah, yeah. thanks. Thanks for helping me get a gig. (laughs) With the lineup finalized, the quartet of Portnoy, Rudis, Levin, and Petrucci, assuming the name Liquid Tension Experiment, entered the studio in September 97. Why did they choose that name? I don't know. I looked really hard <laughs> to find that answer, but I just... Can we make up fake reasons? It might have been a Magna Carta choice, to be to be honest. You What's know? that mean? Like, the, the, the label that was putting the project together. Uh. Uh, they had a different supergroup at the time that had a similar name. It was like Black Syndrome or something like that. Black Syndrome? Yeah, it was like Black Something Syndrome. I, I, I don't know. I'd never heard of them until doing the research for this. Huh. Uh, but yeah, like liquid tension experiment. Well, you know? it's an experiment to see if you guys have good tension together. Is there such a thing as liquid tension? Like, is there an experiment? Well, li- I don't know about an experiment, but liquid tension is where, you know, uh, water kind of stays Tights? together. You know, it's like how those little water bugs can stay on the surface of the water. Right. right or if right. you have like a dro- like droplets of water on a penny, they mm-hmm. stay on the penny and not they don't fl- flow off. Maybe the experiment is they put the like speaker uh up to some liquid tensed water and uh played it and they wanted to see if they could hit the right frequencies to keep the music going but the liquid tension the same there is a song that we're going to talk about that has a water sound oh, okay watery sound like raindrops it's or something. damp yeah <laughs> yeah so i don't know who knows your good your guess is as good as mine uh the band had only five days to write and record a full album's worth of material. That's all the studio time they had. Why does this keep happening to people in this group? It was like they... You have two weeks to learn this entire set, the two-hour set. You've got five days to record. Like, I mean, okay. It's, sure. it's like they all had their own day gigs to, to do. That's you know, fair. They had something else they had to do. So it was like th- we have five days to get together and record in the studio. Here's how much studio time we have. Let's do this. And uh, that's what they did. Um, it was funny. I, I had I went and like went back to my parents' house and grabbed the CD that I had bought at that Amoeba Records all those years ago. Yeah. Uh, and I looked in the booklet, and Mike Portnoy had laid out a day by day breakdown of the recording of this album. Oh, because it was so like like it, that makes sense. You it was like almost schedule. like a diary. Yeah, it was really interesting. Just saying all the things that they had done, you know, during that during each day. Mike Portnoy described the recording process as, quote, one of the craziest, most stressful, and yet simultaneously beautiful, magical, and most creative weeks of my life. That doesn't sound enjoyable at all. <laughs> I mean, it sounds exciting. It at, sounds at magical. It does not sound enjoyable in the least bit. 
Sounds scary. <laughs> so the original idea was to make an album that was, quote, completely and spontaneously improvised. Nothing but jams. Meaning they were all going to get in the studio with nothing planned ahead of time. And they were just going to sit there and just jam. I mean, that's the only plan you can have when you have five days. It's funny, like just a few months ago um, or a month ago, the Beatles Get Back debuted on Disney Plus. Right. And it's a documentary how the Beatles, the they went into a studio, they booked studio for a month with the intention of writing an album's worth of material in a month from scratch. And it turned into this stressful, horrible experience for a lot of them. Um, and I'm like... Bro, Dream Theater, a liquid tension experiment, they did it in five days. <laughs> they did that in five days. Well, I'm going to hope that none of them were as high <laughs> as... Uh, I don't know. But yeah, like they did it. They pulled it off. And I was like, that's... It's so crazy to think about like, yeah, music was like just created. Yeah. Spontaneously in the studio. Yeah. That's what you keep saying. I haven't watched it, kids. Um, like in that Beatles I probably will have to when we get to our 2021 TV shows of the year, but in that Beatles documentary, like you just watch Paul McCartney just create Get Back. Like he just sits there and he's jamming for a few minutes and like you just watch him come up with the idea, conceive the song Get Back. And I I'm sure that's what a lot of this like this album sounds like. Yeah. Know? On one level, you're listening to music just be conceived there on the spot. Mm -hmm. So obviously this approach uh, created some concern amongst Magna Carta Records. Uh, so during a rehearsal at Portnoy's home the weekend before the recording sessions, uh, the group composed skeletons of a few tracks, quote, skeletons. So they, you know, it was, and, and Tony Levin wasn't even there because he had, he had prior commitments. So it was. Mike Portnoy, John Petrucci, and Jordan Rudis getting together the weekend before to come up with like some ideas for songs that they would then record in the studio. That's that's like pretty impressive. Yeah. Or no? Yeah, I, I think I mean it's <laughs> it's like they're planning ahead. You know, mm -hmm. like they had they 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 quote said that they were looking for concrete licks and riffs to work with. Yeah, I, it, he's obviously an artist working with artists, but artists that he looks up to so hopefully they all have similar work ethic but like you got to give artists like some sort of direction especially if there's like a deadline but if the deadline's that quick i mean that makes sense to just kind of like here's the vague sense of yeah because if you have too strict of a deadline it's sort of like just a fall i think it was mostly just like a safety net like yeah you know if it's a horrible disaster for the first few days at least we have these like little songs we can work on ahead of time right yeah 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 uh, and they, he'd even said that they prepared, like they had a few cover songs in mind, like covers of, of classic songs, mm -hmm. just in case they didn't have enough material. It was like a bunch of like fall, you know, fallbacks. Right. Uh, but they didn't need them, you know, and they did use some of the skeletons to create full compositions in the studio. But, you know, a lot of this, a lot of this album is literally made up on the fly. Mm. Very impressive. So super impressive. Yep. They entered the studio that week and they put this album together. In five days. And that's that. I wish I, I couldn't even put a, an Ikea bookshelf together in five days. <laughs> impressive. Impressive. <laughs> it's like you, you have to at least. Give them that. You have to give them credit give for props, that. Give props. Yeah. So let's. We want to talk about some music. Um, No, I kind of want to go take a nap. So kids, that's all for this <laughs> part. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Okay, stop with that. With my <laughs> album. Stop that. <laughs> We're going to talk about some music. 
Okay. All right. So the first song we're going to talk about, uh, I will name in a second. Uh, but my idea was I wanted to pick a song that was more, um, that like kind of represented all four members of the band, you know? Right. Because everyone gets a chance to shine <laughs> on this album, you know? It, it's it's four, four instruments, really. It's, you know, it's guitar, bass, drums, keyboards, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I wanted a song that kind of brought each member into the forefront. So... Uh, the first song we're going to talk about starts with each band showing up into the, the, the song progressively. It's like each one instrument, each instrument. One guy will start and the next guy will come in. Next guy will come in. Next guy. Will in. So I will narrate that as we start this next song. Okay. And that song is Kindred Spirits. So you got that guitar riff. And then the bass comes in. Drums. Finally, the keys. Howard Stern would have something to say about those <laughs> keys. So that is Kindred Spirits. That's a little taste of it. Uh, you have any thoughts on uh, Kindred Spirits? Um, I can't tell the difference between a guitar and a bass. They all sound the same to me. Well, the bass is much more subtle. I, I, I'll give you that. Like you bass have to is be... like a lot less like notes, right? It's usually like, do, 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 do. In a way, like the point of a bass is to like provide a rhythm a lot of the time, you know? But mm -hmm. like Tony Levin, like he grooves. Like he, I think... He's purposely, you know, he, he stands out a bit more than your standard bassist. Levin, Levin Groovin. Levin is Groovin. Yeah. <laughs> um, because like I, it, a lot of the time with a with a with a song, you have to really be listening for a bass. Uh, but with, I feel like with Liquid Tension Experiment, it's like you don't have to listen too hard because he is he is prominent, but he is like I think a bass by the nature of its sound is more subdued than other instruments because they call the keyboard and the guitar the lead instruments for mm -hmm. a reason because they're just more prominent in the mix. Right. Uh, but Tony, like if you really listen, like Tony's going for it with, <laughs> you know, with that bass. Tony's like, I'm here and you will see me. Um, do you think it'd be easier for me to learn how to play the bass? I, th I think like, yeah. I, I, that's the thing. No. I've never, I've never yeah. used, I've never like learned to play the guitar. I've like picked up a guitar maybe three times in my life. Guitar hero. Uh, I play a lot of guitar hero, but that is, that is not an equitable skill. Yeah, it is. <laughs> no, it's not. Not at all. Um, but like I, I've I've heard that like bass is a bit more approachable for a new musician. It doesn't hurt your fingers as much. The the, the strings are bigger. Oh, maybe I should learn. How much does a bass cost? Get me a bass for my what's coming first birthday. Basses are expensive. Are you crazy? Give it to me. Give it to me. I'll you, never play it though. Oh. Uh. Okay, so uh, Kindred Spirits was one of those skeleton songs. They they kind of mm. developed it ahead of time, uh, you know, at least a few pieces of it, and then they fleshed it out during the recording process. Do you have it? Did this song stick out to you? Is there any? Uh... Oh, that makes me think though of that the bits of the Beatles documentary that I kept catching, or the one that at least I don't feel I haven't watched it, but I feel like I've watched a great deal because you talked to me about it. That one of the members came prepared with some songs. They were um, all supposed to. Yes, but one of them did and was like, nah, blah, 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 blah. People weren't really paying attention to them. So it's nice to see that like 
a bunch of like here was some skeleton songs and we could build off of it and it was like yeah collaborative it, it it feels like it it feels like everyone's having fun and everyone is like coming to the table with something you know yeah. and like every like i don't know like the the great thing about this album compared to uh I, i'm gonna compare a lot to that dream theater album that we talked about in 97 but they were creatively stifled by the record label right, when right. they made that album this album i feel like no one told them they could no one told them no it was just like, just do it, you know? It feels good. Jordan, you have a weird keyboard tone that you want to try out? Do it. Uh, you want to write a 10-minute song? Do it, you know? And, like, the the songs are long. The songs are experimental and uh, kind of just avant-garde or out there sometimes. Right. Um, and they just let them do it. Yeah. This song, I, f- I feel like the songs that were born out of those skeleton rehearsals, uh, they sound like a real song. Compared to just a jam, right? You know, because uh, you can hear a jam like a, sometimes jam sessions. You know, like um, like people don't like jam rock sometimes. You mm-hmm. know, um, like the Grateful Dead has a lot of songs that are just jam. They're just, they're just jamming. You know, they're, they're just, just kind they're of just feeling it. Yeah. So I feel like sometimes those songs are a little bit less coherent as a song. Song. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more of just like a mood. You yeah. Know? You're just you're just kind of like grooving out. That's why I like a lot of jam bands like people did a lot of drugs listening to that stuff because it was <laughs> there to take you on a journey. Um, at least with this song, Kindred Spirits, it, it feels like there are, it feels like a, like an actual song mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, except instead of a singer singing a chorus, it's a guitar or a keyboard doing the lead. Could you like um, take us through some of those moments that you you feel are, are like that? Yeah, so that, yeah. Like when we go through the ones that are a little more aimless or jammy. Yes, I sure can. So great thing that I love about progressive rock music is that the music is very dynamic, right? We when heard it how long it just goes in different directions. Like the song doesn't, something doesn't necessarily end the way it began mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily follow a, a strict pattern. You right, know, right. it's not a pop song. It's not a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, solo verse, chorus thing. You know, don't look me dead in the eye while you disparage my <laughs> bread and butter for your jam and toast. But there, so the song just goes places. So like the first example is like you heard like the intro of the song, which is kind of, you know, just like a fun uh, rock song with, with some keyboards, you know, it's kind of like this grand rock song, I guess. Uh, and then it, it slows down and has like a, a, what I consider a classical piano break about a minute 25 in. Sounds like this. Have a little about that reading rainbow lilt in there. <laughs> it does a little bit. And then the guitar comes in and I feel like the guitar there could like the guitar's melody there sounds like it could have been someone singing instead, like a vocal melody. Yeah. And then they just go crazy and with, you know, just off the wall instrumentation, just showing off. We call that a uh, noodling sometimes. We <laughs> guitar noodling where you just kind of <laughs> look at the sounds I can make. If you had to put lyrics to this, what would it, what, what kind of song ha- would Kindred series? I have no idea, honestly, Kindred. you know, I feel like, like it's, it's, 
Does it not sound like joyful though? Yeah, no, it does. So like if you could place another, if you could think of another song in your repertoire um, that has the same kind of like joyful feel, what was the like vocal Something from Queen. It just sounds like a queen, like just kind of like like a fun queen song, you know? Yeah. Something about like just, I don't know. It just, it sounds, it sounds big and joyful. I hear you. Like I'm like sitting here like, oh man, I should have did this before, but I didn't where I was just like, oh, what kind of lyrics would I put to this? But yeah, it does sound big and joyful. Like there'd be a line about like taking, taking someone's hand, right? Like, like being a kindred spirit, right? Taking someone's hand, standing in both the sunshine and the rain, finding joy together, kindred spirit, kindred spirit. Yeah. I I I I don't know. I have a feeling like the the names of the songs came after the songs were written. Yeah, you know they didn't say like, okay, this song's called Kindred Spirit. Let's write a song about kindred spirits. It yeah. was just like they wrote this song, and then once it was finished, they're like, okay, what what do we call this song? And it's like, well, this is Kindred Spirits, and maybe they're res- they're describing themselves. Yeah, right? I was thinking that when you started talking off saying like this is one of those songs that portrays portrays each of the instruments very clearly. I was like, oh, that's probably why they call it uh, Kindred Spirit because you can see them all as individuals, but then also, or hear them all as individuals, but hear how they like blend together. Yeah. And I, even as you're saying, right, like the bass doesn't fall to the wayside, but is just as prominent as all the other ones. I agree. Do you want to actually hear a segment of the song that I labeled as prominent bass? <laughs> sure. <laughs> prominent bass and emotional guitar. <laughs> hear it doom 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 is that's not piano that's not keys oh yeah i hear doom doom and then the guitar is na 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 yep you got the crying guitar This feels like someone is standing in front of a big American flag with sparklers in the forefront. It's very like dramatic and show. <laughs> I don't even know, like just like Rocky standing at the top of the steps. Yeah, inspirational. Mm. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, but yeah, you like I said, you could hear the bass in there, and I feel like that bass sounds like you know, like the backing bass and what you would hear in an emotional Michael Jackson song. You just don't notice it because you're, people a lot of time when they listen to that you know, like funk, right? Like, or or like slow R&B ballads, right? People don't focus necessarily on the backing music. They're focusing on the singer who's the star of the show, obviously. Yeah. But Tony Levin, you know, I, I feel like if you go and really listen to this, those old songs, you know, like a bassist just like Tony Levin was there really rocking and grooving yeah, on his bass. absolutely. And if you, I feel like this type of instrumental music helps you appreciate the work that goes into crafting a really great pop song, you know, like any pop song, because those studio musicians work really hard. Absolutely. And I know they're there to make the star of the show sound um, good. Better. Good. Yeah. But they're also doing great work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for this, this album helps you emphasize, helps emphasize that it's like Tony Levin. He's been a hard working studio musician his whole life um, here. He's, he, you know, he's given a chance to shine. Yeah. And it's cool. It's very cool. 
And I guess the last thing I want to focus on in this song is uh, talk a little bit about Jordan Rudis, the keyboard player. Mm-hmm. Uh, he So Jordan Rudis, I've talked about this. I feel like some guitar players and keyboard players have some, their own style. They, own have the, they have their own voice, just mm-hmm. like a, a singer would, right? Jordan Rudis has very particular lead sounds that he uses that are like exclusive to him. Right. Because he made them himself. <laughs> That is a keyboard. Okay, I thought it was a guitar. No, that that is that's Jordan Rudis on his keys. That is one of his signature sounds, known as the Liquid T lead. After this band. Oh wow! So he developed that sound. It's used prominently on this album mm-hmm. and in pr- and, and subsequent Liquid Tension Experiment albums. And now it is a like downloadable sound that you can play with your keyboard. It's like a <laughs> preset. Oh. Yeah. yeah, it's called the Liquid T lead Got after it. him, after this band. Uh, <laughs> Rudis programmed that lead sound himself on his Kurzweil K2600X synthesizer. And there are videos of him like back in the 90s when he was like doing, he he was like recording um, like how-to instructional videos for the synthesizer companies. Huh. He was like their advocate, their oh, spokesman. Wow. Like you synthesizers, guys. Yeah, and he was like showing how to get the most out of your synthesizer that you just bought, mm. you know. And so he's teaching you. You can watch him. He'll teach you how to create your own lead sounds and how to like mix and match different tones to create your own song sound. Really, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and so Jordan Rudis, as good, he's a great pianist, but he's also a weird, like a huge tech whiz. No, you know. So he goes deep into the computer programming aspect of synthesizers and that's what i think makes him why does he get both why does he get to be genius in both these things he's a he's a hard-working man he he knew what he knew what he wanted to do in life oh gosh he's I the mean, wizard that's what they good call good job sir they call him the wizard on, for a reason you know california <laughs> so yeah the, the 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 lead sound you hear on this album is very much a jordan rudis exclusive sound that he made himself and for that, I, I applaud him. I don't. I'm kidding. But I think that's all I have to say about Kindred Spirits. You have, you have anything you want to add before we move on? No. I think it was a lovely song. All right. The next song we're going to talk about is called Osmosis. Jones? hear that bass i think we're in a jungle also i thought this was called oasis so this is one of those songs that like really emphasizes uh jordan rudis's keyboard playing and tony levin's bass playing because they're like kind of like the two lead sounds Mm -hmm. whereas the other two guys are kind of supporting them uh this song was born from a jam between 
Jordan Rudis and Tony Levin. That's probably why they are prominently featured on this song. Yeah. Uh, also, this is the song I said like has the mo- has the liquid sound yeah. to it. Yeah. It sounds it sounds like raindrops, right? I can, yeah. Do, 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 do. So th- this song is very much a jam. This one probably like it, apparently Tony Levin came in with a bass line that he thought was cool. Him and Jordan like started he he you know he played the bass line for Jordan. Jordan kind of like you know probably set up a sound that fit well with the 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 thing, and he came up with that like you know do, 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 like the the raindrop noises mm-hmm. you hear in this song. Um, it was fun. The, the they have home video footage of them in the studio. Mike Portnoy walks in. He's like, "Oh, they're here already." You know, <laughs> hi Jordan, hi Tony, and he's like, "Hey, we're gonna play some music." Tell us what you sound, you know, tell us what you think of this. And Jordan starts playing this song. And he's like, oh, I like it already. <laughs> Just like that? Was that his tone? Something like that, yeah. Oh, I like it already. Cute. They're very supportive of each other. Cute. We love supportive bandmates. So I remember, like, the reason I wanted to talk about this song, other than the osmosis liquid connection, um, I remember when we first listened to this together, you had the most to say about this song. Like you you kept like, oh, it sounds like this. Oh, it sounds like this. So today it sounds like a jungle. <laughs> it does. Or like underwater or a cave. I mean. It has a, it, this is what I would call mood music. It has a very specific sound. It sounds like something, but I'm going to run the gamut to like try to find that perfect. <laughs> we just need a poll. What does this song sound like? It is pleasant. It's a, definitely pleasant. Um, it like you know. Let, let's hear. It's like a video game level. I'm glad you said that. Oh no. Okay, l- let's hear a little bit more. Let's hear the big keyboard lead, and then I'll I'll, I'll have a conversation about uh, the video game angle. Sounds like someone's walking through a marsh or like some kind of wetland. So that keyboard lead, like just the sound, Mm -hmm. you're totally right. It sounds like MIDI video game music of this era. Mm -hmm. So around in 1998, the the two leading consoles were the Nintendo 64 and the uh, uh, PlayStation. Right. Right. I feel like whatever whatever was used, I, I feel like whatever keyboard that... Jordan is here is using the Kurzweil, I guess, uh, is the same type of keyboard that the composers who were making video game music at the time mm-hmm. uh, were also using. <laughs> so I, I think there's an overlap there yeah. in terms of like technology, because there are so many times where Jordan's playing sounds like something you hear. I like was like listening to it. I was like, that sounds like something like out of Pokemon Snap for the <laughs> Nintendo 64. I was so- thinking like it sounds like a level from Gris, that uh, video game that is about grief <laughs> but like yeah there's like spiral the dragon mm-hmm. there's like something about just the tone of of key- jordan's keyboard here sounds like video game music of this era yeah right and i think that's just a mutual use of technology yeah but so here's another thing that i wanted to talk about um i think something that drew me to progressive rock music especially this type of progressive rock music was the fact that it did sound a lot like video game music, Hmm. right? And I think there's a few reasons why that's the case, right? Here's the thing. 
I don't, I, I feel comfortable saying, I don't think the members of Liquid Tension Experiment are video game fans per mm -hmm. se. They might have played a few, but like, I don't think they're that not they're gamers. They're not gamers. So their sound is not explicitly influenced by video games, mm -hmm. right? I don't think Jordan Rudis was playing a video game and says, I want to make music that sounds like that. That's not how that happened. Right. So I'm like, well, why does the, his music sound so much like a video game? I think one, this is a, this is a jam song, right? Mm -hmm. It's like Tony came up with a bass line and he, you know, he starts playing it. And then Jordan comes in with a keyboard, you know, accompaniment, right? Mm -hmm. To that bass groove. And so like, they just kind of repeat themselves over and over again until they come up and then, you know, they might add an embellishment, you mm -hmm. know, um, or, or, Petrucci will come in with the guitar at a certain point and he'll add his own embellishments. So the music starts to layer on itself. Right. Like video game music, it's very loop based. Yeah. Video game music, because those files, they had to be very small. A lot of video game music of the 80s and 90s needed to be uh, loop based. It was like, you know, a two minute loop and it would just go over and over again. Yeah. And, and the music had to be composed in a way where it didn't feel tiresome to hear, yeah. you know, like the Super Mario theme. Uh, can't be played. It would get tiring if the song, you know, sound started to get uh, tiresome. Yeah, if so, if you started to notice, right? It. What is it? How does it go? Do 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 do. Oh yeah. Right. If if you're playing Mario for like two hours, right? Mario has like five songs in it. Yeah. If you hear that, you know that the 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 Super Mario main theme loop so many times you better hope that's a good composition because yeah. they're going to hear it over and over again yeah so a lot of video game music is composed and especially the good ones they're composed in such a way as to not become tiresome mm -hmm. and it just like feeds into itself continuously like what is the snake eating its own tail uh uh obelisk uh, earl burros what's an obelisk then that's uh what you get in ancient egypt aurora borales <laughs> no um <laughs> so Especially a song like this where they're jamming, you know, they're, they're just like looping the same riff or the same bass line over and over again until they can find the next progression of the song. Right. right. An embellishment, a new riff, some something, right? They're going to transition away from it. And and Jordan Rudis, his keyboard, as I was watching those instructional videos. He was like, the great thing about my keyboard is it's also a sequencer. So he can play, he can like hit record on the on the keyboard play a, a melody right or for a few bars of music or whatever and then stop record and it will start to loop what he just played over and over again so right. so that he could then play a lead over the backing melody that he just recorded okay yeah so yeah yeah he he can play basically he can play do two things at once right the keyboard will play the backing self on a loop by itself mm -hmm. while he's doing the lead and now adding his own embellishment so his music very much is loop based, just like a video game yeah. soundtrack would be. And that's actually like uh, a lot of um, solo artists that are coming up by themselves. They they use those looping things. They'll just play something for like a four count and then loop it. Yep. Next, do a couple of claps, loop it. Next, do some backing vocals, loop it, and then sing over that whole track. That's how you do it, especially yeah. if, like, if you want to record like or perform this stuff live. Sometimes it's just yeah. the way it's got to go. You got to have a backing track, and why not have it do it yourself, basically? Yeah. And another thing I think that makes progressive rock music of this time sound so much like video game music is because the same musicians and acts that 
influenced Dream Theater, Liquid Tension Experiment, and their contemporaries are the same musical groups and acts and musicians that influenced the the first generation of Japanese video game composers Mm. of the time, okay? Koji Kondo, who made, who wrote the Super Mario theme, the Zelda theme, all those classic video game tunes, he loved, like, old-school 70s progressive rock music and, like, old-school jazz, jazz fusion. So he came up liking the same thing that influenced young Dream Theater when they were coming up. Progressive rock groups from the 70s. Uh, George Rudis loves, like, old-school progressive rock music from the 70s. Uh, so they, they have a shared influence. Right. And that shared influence makes them both sound similar because they're both being influenced by the same thing. Right. I'm just realizing that this episode is about another one of your attempts at backdooring video games into this. You brought up video games. No, I didn't. No, 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 Sarah. You're like, I don't know what we're going to talk about since there's no lyrics. Video games. That's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. You, you, sir. I see you. I'm saying, so like, you know, Jun Sanue, the guy who makes the Sonic soundtracks, right? It's like that guy is clearly influenced by old school 70s progressive rock music, uh, just like Dream Theater was. Right. (laughs) So that's why it sounds similar. One of the reasons is because they were both influenced by the same thing. They weren't necessarily influenced by each other. They have a shared influence. And that, I think, is what makes art so great that it can be, you know, like there's that saying proverb there's nothing new under the sun or every every creative thing has already been done and everything else is just a spin-off of that yep. and there's nothing wrong with that like how these things can you can see that they have the same they have similar roots but that they are very different things it's just so amazing and how like art can just affect people in different ways and move them to create in different ways it's true um, and then the last thing I want to talk about with this song is uh, the, the production. Uh, they play around with the stereo format a bit. So I have a clip here where the guitar sound kind of like, you know, goes in Rubber between the, yeah, the left and right ear a little bit. So I hate that. If you're listening through some headphones, you might you might catch a little bit of that here. kind of hear it moving from left to right I'm as the so guitar off. player is going off. I do not like this song. This song <laughs> like and ham. as I'm listening to it, it does. It sounds like a lava level from Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog. 06. 06. Yeah. This the 2006 bad Sonic game that came out that has excellent music. <laughs> um, it's a bad game. Great music. This song sounds like something out of that game. I was like trying to, I was still trying to figure out like what um, it sounded like. And at the end, you know, because you were saying bad Sonic, good music, but it just kind of, I don't know. At the end, it made me feel like 
the end of, I don't want to say Indiana Jones or the mummy, but it felt more like the mummy at the end when they're like riding off on a camel into the sunset. Okay. <laughs> it's a very distinctive sound, but that's movements though. So that's osmosis. I think that's all we have to say about that. <laughs> uh, the next song, it's another jam. Oh, wait. What what kind of lyrics would you have put to Osmosis? Let's see. Oh, put some millennial woes in there, and then be like, "No, this this song this <laughs> song is not this song does." That's why I was saying this song doesn't have that traditional song format. This is definitely a jam. I don't think you could scat to it. No. This is this is this is like psychedelic jam band stuff where you. You know, you listen in a theater and do drugs and just like watch a light show okay, as so it goes along. Do drugs, mm, mushrooms on your potatoes. All right, the next song we're going to talk about, it's another jam. It's called Chris and Kevin's Excellent Adventure. Just a duet between drummer Mike Portnoy and bassist Tony Levin. This is just a bass and drum track. Who's Chris and Kevin? That's a great question. <laughs> so uh, Chris and Kevin, uh, the, the title of the track, Chris and Kevin's Excellent Adventure, is a reference to the album's photo sessions. A photographer came in during one of the days when they're in the studio to basically take some pictures to be included in the, uh, the booklet, probably mm -hmm. some marketing stuff. Um, the photographer continuously misnamed Mike Portnoy and Tony Levin as Chris and Kevin, <laughs> respectively. You know, he's probably, oh, Chris, stand over here. Kevin, stand over here. And they probably just like kept like looking at each other like, I guess you're Chris. I should guess we, I'm should Kevin. We, should, we, uh, <laughs> should we correct him? Nah, it's funnier this way. Oh, gosh. So that just became a running joke. So obviously... When they write a track that's a duet between the two of them, they have to obviously make a joking reference to that incident. Yeah, and that needs to be cemented. And that's what happens. So we get uh, an excellent adventure from Chris and Kevin here. <laughs> um, and and this song is like out there. Like they just, it's complete. Like you know, th I feel like this is just them goofing off and having fun. Mm -hmm. You know, like it, you get you get stuff like this where they're like whistling. You know. It's just like, I don't know. What do, what do you think of this? I had a very specific thought about this. I only have one thought about this. The entire thing sounds like it is a track from Cowboy Bebop. Okay. Yeah. So there's another example. I feel like the dude who composed the music for Cowboy Bebop was probably also influenced by the same people that influenced the yeah. members of Liquid Tension Experiment. And I like love most of like from Cowboy Bebop, the series, the anime series, <laughs> I... 
love the music there. There's one called uh, Cat. Like it's either mm, cow. It's and it reminds me of this where it's like slowly, like it slowly builds on itself. It's like cat steps, and then ugh, I love it. It's amazing. Anyway, that to be said, like I had nothing else to say, but it was like this belongs in Cowboy Bebop. You you can <laughs> pe- picture Spike Spiegel sitting, absolutely like sitting on Mars on a dusty road somewhere, and it's just like him waiting on a bounty to show up. Yeah, especially like how it opens. I was like, this is just Spike walking down the street, but the whistling. I was like, that's him and. Ed just sitting there like while Ayn is like running around like like the whole thing the whole thing it's just Cowboy Bebop I have nothing else to say about this it's just Cowboy Bebop <laughs> so the um an, uh, an interesting thing about the the instrumentation of this song and all the songs really uh Tony Levin is using what's called a Chapman stick it is a stringed instrument that he helped popularize oh have you ever heard of the Chapman stick Nope. So imagine a guitar, right? Just you picturing it's just the stick with the ball with the like thing at the end, right? Imagine a guitar. Now remove the guitar part and just leave the neck. Yeah, with just like three strings, right? It's got twelve strings. Nope, never heard of it. The Chapman stick. It's essentially a guitar neck, but like double sized. It's just a large rectangular. It's a plank of wood with string attached. That's kind of what it looks like. And it has, you know, it has the guitar, like the top of the guitar neck with the, you Tuning. know, you, you can tune the strings mm. and he's playing. So I watched like an instructional video that he did about the Chapman stick <laughs> and it has one. So the, the, it has two halves, really. There's mm-hmm. six strings on one side and one, six strings on the other. One side are like traditional guitar strings and the other side are traditional bass strings. So he's able to play bass notes on one side and you know higher pitched guitar notes on the other. So it's sort of like a guitar and bass in one. Mm. And it's a bizarre instrument. I went and saw King Crimson perform back in like 2012 with and Tony Levin was in the band at the time. And he's up there on stage just playing the Chapman stick and you're just like what is that thing he's using? It, I've never seen anything like it before. That's Are sounds, you Googling Chapman sticks so you can see I'm it? I'm texting my friend that plays the guitar and buys almost every guitar instrument that she comes across to see if she's heard of it and see if I can get her to buy one so that I can play with it. I mean, I'm not going to make her buy one. <laughs> so, and it's like, you don't really, you don't strum with a Chapman stick traditionally. The point is to pluck on the, the you know, pluck on the strings, you know? So that's how you get like a lot of the grooviness, you know? Cause like, I feel like a lot of like, groove bands the point of a bass is not to necessarily strum on the bass it's to like pluck at it with your fingers you know that's how you get the it's, you know do slaps you know that's banjo playing so um mike portnoy uh jokingly referred to chris and kevin's excellent adventure as the album's vocal track <laughs> because this is the only al- this is the only song on the album to feature words spoken by a human being. Uh, Do you want to hear a little bit of that? Yeah, give it to me.
Excellent. There's your uh, Bill and Ted excellent, right? Yeah. You need, you need that in there. Of course you do. Do you think they put that in after they decided to Yeah. Call oh, it? yeah, yeah. I think so. I, th- I think that was just kind of like extra embellishments that they recorded after the jam was done. Mm. Um. I, I can't say this for sure, but like when they did the home video stuff, they made it also seem like they sampled like just random noises in the studio as well, hmm. um, like a coffee machine brewing <laughs> and stuff like that. So I don't know if I can hear that or not. Maybe that's just placebo, but you know, they might have just I feel like this one, they were just goofing off and having fun and just like adding in random stuff like whistles and excellence and, uh, you know, random no. sounds. I mean, I, I like that kind of. Yeah. It's it's fun to listen to. Um, it's not my favorite song on the album. I think uh, I think like there are like two sides of this Liquid Tension Experiment album. There's like like I said, there's the the songs that are more traditional. Like they kind of put the songs together ahead of time, mm-hmm. and then there are these ones that are just completely improvised. Right. I tend to like the more constructed songs better, mm-hmm. but I also enjoy the jams because they are fun. Yeah. And you can feel the joy. Yeah. I mean, this one might be my favorite off the album. Really. That's cool. It's got bebop feels. Got that bebop feel. And then it comes to a fun ending because they just, they're having fun. (laughs) So Chris and Kevin's excellent adventure is actually the first in a trilogy of sorts for Liquid Tension Experiment Mm. with Chris and Kevin's bogus journey (laughs) and Chris and Kevin's amazing odyssey appearing on later LTE releases. (laughs) Um, I I feel like they really missed the boat on naming the third one Chris and Kevin Face the Music because Uh, that's what the third Bill and Ted movie is. Uh, Because Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey are Bill and Ted jokes. Yeah. Uh, The third Bill and Ted movie that came out I think it was 20, 2020 was Face the Music. Well, when did the... Amazing Odyssey came out last year in 2021. So uh, you, missed the, you missed the boat, boys. Can they rename it? I don't know. Maybe there'll, maybe there'll be a fourth one. It'll be called Chris and Kevin Face the Music. <laughs> we'll never know. I think I, I, I've only seen one Bill and Ted. I'm not sure which one, though. We watched the first one together. Then I, mean, I guess uh, that's excellent the one adventure. I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> but that's Chris and Kevin's Excellent Adventure. And we move on to... The last one. (sighs) The behemoth. The last of us. Three minute warning. Here's the warning. It's not three minutes. As the song starts up there, as the, the music wakes up, uh, let me explain. Foghorn. Let me explain. Three minute warning. This song was completely improvised. Quote, not a single note or beat was discussed beforehand during a jam session initiated by Tony Levin. According to Mike Portnoy, late in the recording sessions, Levin became impatient when the other three band members became too involved in proper songwriting. You know, they were they were trying to construct real songs. And he reportedly said, quote, 
Look, no offense, but if we're not going to jam in the next three minutes, I'm out of here. See you guys tomorrow. You can carry on writing. And that was his three minute warning. So they were, they, you know, he gave them three minutes and they all said, okay, let's put down our songs. Let's jam with Tony. <laughs> and this is what was born. Oh gosh. They just re- left the recording on and said, all right, that's it. Yep. They just hit play and just kind of did a thing. And what they created is a 28 minute long jam that they thought was good enough to be a song on the album. They thought was good enough. Do you agree with that? It's something. It's something. So here's one of the, this is one of those songs where I said, Jess, you need to engage in this with this song in a very certain way. Okay. Um, I told you, what, what did I tell you? You said, turn off all the lights, lay down, close your eyes, put your headphones in and I'll make you dinner. And just listen to, <laughs> listen to the music in the dark with your eyes closed and just listen, right? Mm-hmm. Having For 28 minutes. In the dark, with only an instrumental. Describe the, I mean, if you want, like, describe the experience. I fell asleep. (laughs) Well, before that, I don't know. Because I I feel like you don't normally listen to music that way, right? No, absolutely not. So I'm honestly just curious, like, what what was your take on that experience? I fell asleep. (laughs) I don't know what else to say, buddy. Um, I thought it was, like, so I knew that that was going to happen, right? Like... Not in, not to like do a disservice to the the music, to their jam session, to this album whatsoever. I have a very specific track record with instrument, instrumental music and dark places. I failed the class because I didn't know most of the class was listening to classical music in the dark for an hour and a half, three times a week. I fell asleep every time. It's just, it's just the place that my brain goes. It's like, all right, nap time now. Um, I fought valiantly and I was awake for like 11 minutes of it, I think, according to the screenshots I sent my husband. Um, and it was something. Because I feel like the point of it is like to like listen to it. And it's sort of like going to a like a concert hall and listening mm-hmm. to, you know, a classical, uh, you know, like a symphony play. Right? right. It's like you're just supposed to like. Let the music just kind of wash over you, yeah. right? Without any like visual accompaniment, you know? It's just like hear the music and just like internalize it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to kind of get you to do. And it sounds like you did it until you fell asleep. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I like and I totally get that. I, I get under I understand like the art of centering yourself to just like be in the moment. But if I do that, I'm going to not be present. Like, I'm going to fall asleep. So, and it's not because I'm bored or anything, but, like, when I'm trying to concentrate on being in the moment, either I'm only thinking about, hey, be here, hey, be here. Or if I'm like, okay, just let all the things go and just let whatever, it, I'm going to fall asleep. Again, not because of the music, just because that's how I'm hardwired, right? Like, that's why I don't have problems falling asleep. I'm just kind of like, all right, no more thoughts. Goodbye now. And I get it. 28 minutes is a toll ask. That's a long song. I get it. But like, and and I'm going to be honest, like there, there, there aren't a lot of opportunities for me to like listen to this entire song from start to finish. You yeah. Know? It's like maybe on a long car ride, maybe while I, I might put the album on while I'm doing my work. Right. Uh, 28 is 28 minutes is a long time. Yeah. For one composition. I but get it, it probably didn't feel long in a jam session. Yeah. And for, for them to just like basically hit play on the recording and just play. And it's like, wow, 
that 28 minutes was that, that was great. Yeah. I was like that. I, I feel like that just goes to show like the the talent mm-hmm. of these musicians. Right. For them to be able to just do that. Yeah. On the fly. Two of those guys had played together extensively. Right. But like the other two guys were kind of outsiders. Mm-hmm. Um, so for them to kind of just like groove and jam together with such chemistry to create a fully formed 28 minute song without any practice or rehearsal or any idea of where were they were going to go with it. I think that's what's so cool about this this song is like you listen to music be created and conceived and like you listen to them like try ideas out Mm -hmm. and like kind of like one guy will come up with an idea and it's like the other guy will like pick up on the idea (coughs) and just go for it. Right. Yeah. No, I think it's 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 a form of magic and it's amazing. Like I'm all for it. I think that it is more than impressive like there's not there's a word for it but i can't think of it is it's more than impressive impressive that this came to be right like there was nothing and then suddenly there is 28 minutes of something it's like the big bang the song's <laughs> three minute warning is a good name because of, of that story mm-hmm. this is we're sort of like listening to the big bang you know like the the, the start of the universe you yeah because like you're just listening to an idea form um let me let me play a little clip of the the music here early on so about it like you heard like the first 30 seconds or so it's like them basically like kind of like feeling each other out like you know they're just kind of like sort of like chaos right mm-hmm. like audio chaos like they're all trying to like figure out where the song is going to go and uh it, it starts slow but slowly they start to come together right and and like you hear like like i i like the music just kind of settles in to like an actual song um, and I like the the exact moment, like I saw when I listened to it the last time, I was like, where does the music like start? Like, here's the the beginning of the music, right? right. Where they, they all kind of settle into the, the groove. And it's the drums are trying to set a beat there, right? Right. And they just kind of they they find something and they just start going for it. And it's like, oh, this is a song now. <laughs> We've made it. Yeah, and it's like. All you need is that you need that you need that drum beat and it's something for 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 Jordan Rudis to pick up on his keyboard. He comes up with like a, you know, a nice loop or like a backing melody with the keyboards and all of a sudden they've got a song and they're just going for it. And, you know, and they'll start adding embellishments. They'll start coming in and, and trading places and like, OK, you take the lead now and stuff like that. And it's just like, mm-hmm. wow, I'm listening to music happen. <laughs> the closest that we'll be able to get to like being in studio, you know, and seeing it come together. Yeah. I mean, unless we get really good instrument playing friends, musician friends, musician friends. I feel like even listening to like your friends try to make music together isn't this entertaining. There's just something like these guys are all like trained and they've worked in the industry for years. Excuse me. (laughs) My friends are excellent. Okay. (laughs) You know, your friends. Here's an example. We have two friends that are brothers, right? They 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 come from a musical family. Like they both sing sing and play guitar. Right. 
And I remember we went to a, a music or a, it was like an art showcase that you put that I was producing. Yeah. Several years ago. Yep. These two brothers, like at the end of the like actual show, mm-hmm. they just plugged in. They plugged their guitars into the amp. They got up to the mic and they just started riffing on each other. And it, yep. it became like half a comedy show, half a music. Like, and they were just like, hey, let's play a song. And they start playing a song. And it's just like they just were riffing on each other. Yeah. That's entertaining. That was pretty entertaining. And, and that it felt similar where it's just like two talented people just kind of riffing on each other. And they have great chemistry. And it's just like, oh, a song has happened. I love that. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait till 2024 when I can put on another project. <laughs> so regarding the, uh, the, the length of the song. Um, I think even back then in rock music, like I said, 28 minutes, that's a tall ask, especially on a CD, right? Yeah. Let's say you got a CD or a tape. Yeah. Like tape, ha- even with a tape, it's a bit easier to like, you know, fast forward on the tape. Right. Right. But with a CD track, like track nine, right? It's the last track, right? It's the last track. It's like, okay, I'm going to go to track nine and it's like 28 minutes long. Let's say you're in your car and you only have a 10 minute drive to where you're going. And you hit stop and you turn the car off. It's like when you hop back into the car, <laughs> it's, it's going to start track nine again. Yeah. And start from the beginning. So it's like, what do we do? So back in the day, Liquid Tension Experiment, I think this was a Mike Portnoy choice. Dream Theater did the same thing with some of their longer songs. They would actually split up the last song, the mm-hmm. composition into several CD tracks. Huh. So on the original and on my CD here in the other room, Three minute warning. It's twenty eight minutes long. Split among five different tracks. Huh. Well, so that's it's nice. like you know part one, part two, part three, part four, yeah. part five, and uh, and that has its roots in classic progressive rock mm-hmm. because you know bands like Pink Floyd they would have a long composition like Shine on You Crazy Diamond for example. That is very long, but it's a good song. And it has multiple parts because you couldn't put a forty minute song on one side of a record back in the day. Yeah. So they had to split. They would they had to cut it in half. And put it on both sides. <laughs> so it's like, you want to listen to uh, Shine On You Crazy Diamonds, part one through four? Listen to side A. <laughs> part five through seven, side B. <laughs> Gosh, that's so many parts. Progressive rock music, that's when I say it's like, this is like your meat and potatoes of music. You know, this is not cotton candy. This is not junk food. This is... I will fight you if you keep saying these words and trying to apply them to my music. It, this is like as far away from the mainstream as you can get. That's fine. <laughs> and I love it for that. Oh, here's a funny thing. Also, like, considering that this is far from mainstream, and it's like, this is not the type of music you recommend to your friends. Right. If they're not, like, primed for it. Right. right. The album even includes a disclaimer for this track. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so on, on, on the CD, it says, Caution, three-minute warning is not for the musically faint-hearted, impatient, or critics <laughs> of extreme self-indulgence. If you fall into any of the above categories, please hit stop on your CD player after track eight. <laughs> Same, bro. They knew. They knew who I was. They knew. They knew. So I got figured until we get tired of it, let's let's play through some of the sections of the songs that we thought were noteworthy and okay. uh, interesting. Because you you did. You listened to it. And every, anytime you hit a part in the song where you thought it was like, oh, that's. I just very quickly, without looking at my phone, hit the button for screenshot. And um, hoped that I saved stuff. (laughs) Yeah, so let's listen to what you considered noteworthy.
I just really like the the uh, change in the guitar there. The like it's sounding like it's sneakily climbing upstairs. Do 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 do. Look look. Do 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 do. Someone there. Do 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 do. That's what I felt like. When I, I was tell you, it's it's all loop based, and mm. that that's the great thing about progressive rock because it builds on itself. Yeah. Yeah, and then like it moves from like this. Uh, I mean, it could have been one minute or it could have been seven. I don't know. <laughs> Based on your timestamps, is about four. Well, it like moved into this kind of thing that like was reminiscent reminiscent of the Simpsons theme song for me. I don't know. There was like keys in it that just made me think of like Bart Simpson doing something. Is uh, your your Danny Elfman <laughs> score? Yeah, Danny Elfman. His style of music is very joyful, mm-hmm. right? I feel, you know, he, he did the Pee Wee Big Adventure soundtrack. He does all the Tim Burton movies, right? He's he's very whimsical, right? Uh-huh. So maybe maybe this is what you were talking about. I don't know. What did you have to say about that spooky bit? No, I just, I liked it, but it, it also made me think of like, it did make me think of the Simpsons. Is that spooky bit? No, it like, it doesn't, it gets spooky very quickly after it, but it's. Simpsons. Yeah. Okay. It makes me, I was like, oh, the Simpsons. And then it just kind of like. This is one of those things where I said the, the, so when I was talking about dynamic music, the music is just like, go like. This song like speeds up and slows down and goes to different places, right? Because they're just jamming and they're just seeing where they're going to go. So yeah. this feels like a classical composition where there's multiple movements. Mm-hmm. And that part there highlights like the change to a different movement where, right. you know, because it went from that like, you know, kind of like that climbing guitar and the, the keyboards have settled in. It's like do, 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 right? It mm-hmm. just sounded more upbeat and joyful. Then it gets creepy and like kind of like strange psychedelic right? <laughs> and that that's that was the transition right there yeah and i guess you're just saying the the guitar melody kind of sounds like the simpsons yeah it made me it like made me think look i'm half asleep folks <laughs> i was like oh simpsons mm-hmm. and then it was like spooky simpsons they have halloween episodes and then it gets real spooky and you start he- like you could tell it's like they were ready to take a bit of a break yeah and just kind of like at this point they're eight minutes in and they were just like, okay, what kind of weird noises can we make happen? And then mm-hmm. you just get these collection of strange noises. And you, it's sort of like, to me, it sounds like old school Pink Floyd, where they were like going into like super psychedelic territory mm-hmm. and avant-garde experimental music. And they're just like throwing ideas at the wall and seeing what would stick and just like, I don't know, just being weird. Right. Just weird music. I love weird Ooh. music. And that's what this is. This is a weird movement. whatever that talking instrument is. Speaking of that talking instrument, I was like, what is that? Because 
I'm listening to it here on the couch, you know, in the dark with the thing on. I was like, what is that noise? <laughs> I at first thought I was like, that has to be the keyboard, right? Like Jordan is doing something strange with his keyboard. Sounds like strings to me. It did. And then I, I, I could hear the the kind of the, the chord progressions of the keyboard underneath, mm-hmm. you know, kind of low. And I was like, that's not the keyboards he's playing. What is that noise? I think it is Tony Levin. And I don't think it's his Chapman stick. Because when you look at the uh, the the music or the, when you look at the list of instruments that he used on this album in the credits, mm-hmm. he also used what's called an electric upright bass. Um, he that, just had it set up and ready for the jam. I think so. Like so two minutes, just, all my stuff is set up. Let's so he do just this. moved to he moved over to his electric upright bass, <laughs> and he's using a bow. You can hear it. Yeah, and he's like you know playing because an upright. An electric upright bass. It's a cello. It, it's essentially an electric cello. Yeah. So, or it's, a, you know, it's one of those, bi- you, you know, like the big stringed basses, like yeah. the classical bass that you, you know, the big ones that they <laughs> use in, in symphonies. Um, basically, it's an electric version of that. So mm. it's, it's more compact because it doesn't need to be this big thing acoustically. Right. Um, and he's just, and it uses pickups. So he's over there probably playing with his, you know, making these weird sinister noises with his electric upright bass and a bow. Yeah. You know, kind of rubbing the strings in weird ways yeah, and making it, it talk. It definitely sounded like somebody was bowing. Like Yeah. So I mean, and I think that's the mystery because I was just like, what is that noise? And I Googled <laughs> it and no one knew. And I was like, what is that? I need to know now. And then after this psychedelic break, the song picks up again and uh, they start to you know, move into the next movement. Move into movement. <laughs> Sounds like they're shooting off fireworks. I really like the transition into the soft right after this. That was the reason I, I like plucked this one. You hear it very early. Yeah, you do. And it's it's very, very nice. Um, but you, the, the the whistle noise, the ding, ding, or like the bell or whatever that was. Mm-hmm. So that's another function of Jordan Rudis's keyboard. Oh. It's also a sampler. So he can record samples with the guitar and assign it to a key. So any anytime you hit this key on your keyboard, it'll make the noise like bling, 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 bling. <laughs> so that's what he's doing. So he's playing, you know, probably playing with one hand and then every whenever he feels like he needs to just like hit the, the key that goes bling, bling. <laughs> so that's 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 some fun, interesting stuff that you couldn't do with a normal piano. Yeah. Or any other instrument. You know, he's basically got a He's got a computer that he's playing with. Yeah. On top of his keyboard. Yeah. It's so fun. <laughs> And you, you mentioned that you like that soft yeah. piano bit. I like that it um, just kind of moved into that ethereal feel. Ethereal? Ethereal? <laughs> Ethanol? Does this smell like chloroform? <laughs> what? Um, yeah, no. I think it was just one of those things that I, I like it just before I fell into the sleepy place. I was like, oh, this is nice. This, this is right when you fell asleep, <laughs> it according is right, to my notes here. It is right when I fell asleep. I was like, this is nice. Click. Boom. <laughs> so he lulled you into sleep with his mm. his keyboard tones. Thank you. I needed a nap. I was having a rough day. 
It was more, like his keyboard samples there specifically. The the sounds uh, sounds more like video game music of the time. Like, mm-hmm. Kind of sounds like something you would hear in Kingdom Hearts, even. I wouldn't know. I never played it, but I can believe that. <laughs> so then later on in the song, about you know three minutes after that, uh, the song kind of settles into like a blues rock sound, right? And the keyboards kind of go away, and it's just the guitar, bass, and drums, right? And it sounds like. Like I said, blues rock or like the kind of rock you would hear at the time, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like thinking to myself, I was like, okay, this is more stripped down. This sounds like, you know, kind of like a blues rock sound. What what's what's Jordan gonna do? Because I was listening to it and I was like, okay, I'm hearing they're settled into this blues rock form. I was like, what's Jordan gonna do with the keyboards? <laughs> Cause you you don't hear him for like a minute and you're like, he's got something planned. What's he gonna do? And he 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 just rides in. Freaking organ yeah. coming in, that street organ. Yeah. And I was, I, that part in that song where that organ just slides in, because I was anticipating it. I was like, something's coming. And he just comes in with the street organ. I, I smiled. I was like, <laughs> I, I, that song, it, that made, that moment made me smile so much. <laughs> like I felt the joy, because I was like, I knew it was coming. <laughs> something's coming. What is it? What is it? And he, he probably was sitting there going like, okay, they're, they're doing this blues rock thing. Kind of sounds like, like a guitar solo in a Pink Floyd song or something. What am I going to do? Street organ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, a, it was a very, it was a nice entrance too. Yeah. It's like, oh, that fits perfectly. It's just grand. Yeah. Like the, the, this feels like, they call it the wall of sound where it's just like, you know, just hits you. I feel like they've accomplished the wall of sound. You know, and this sounds more, this sounds more like a mainstream type of music, you know, it's blues rock. It's like probably what you would hear. This would normally be a guitar solo in a normal song, Mm -hmm. but here it's just like one movement of a very long composition. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I only have one other portion of the song that I wanted to highlight, and that's at about 23 minutes in we get what I call a guitar and keyboard conversation. <laughs> Cause I feel like <laughs> I'm like this, I feel like the star of the show here is Jordan Rudis. Cause he's just on it. <laughs> like he could just pick up what the other band members want to do. And he just always has something to answer with it. So Cause he's a whiz kid. It sounds to me like John Petrucci, the guitar player, he like, he plays a, he plays a, a you know, a small series of notes. And then Jordan, like without missing a beat just goes, and does the exact same thing. And they have a conversation together. Right there.
So you just get keyboards and the guitar kind of like doing the same series of notes, but then they start changing and, and feeding off of each other. And it's sort of like I, I, in my head as I was listening to it, because I was in the dark and I could just, you know, see nothing. It was sort of like just two like fairies, like dancing around each other. So like <laughs> two fireflies, you know? Yeah, no, it gives me um, musical theater feels. <laughs> Not in the, it just, I, 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 I agree with you. I really do like it as well, where it's just kind of like, it's teasing. It feels very teasing. Like, stop copying me. I'm not copying you. Playful. <laughs> yeah, it's very like, mm hmm And uh, I, I, I'm like, if you care to listen to it, I recommend like listening to the whole thing. Just the once. The whole album or the, no, just no, that song? No, no, three minute warning. I was like, everyone listening, all you kids out there, give it a try. Listen to three minute warning. As I mentioned, in the dark, with headphones on. Just see what see what happens. You Set know? a timer. Set a a thirty two minute timer just in case you fall asleep. <laughs> um, and, and just see what what happens. I don't want to give away every portion of the song just because you know. Obviously, we'll be here all day if we do anyway. Um, but that is three minute warning. Yeah. Do you want to hear how it ends though? Because I found out something interesting in reading the production notes. How about it? The jam went on so long that the multi track tape used to record ran out. Oh, wow. Luckily, Mike Portnoy was running a live to two track digital audio tape at the time, which recorded the last minute or so of the jam. Dang. And he pointed it out. He's like, there's a point in the song where you can hear the sound drop and come back very quickly. <laughs> and it has a different quality to it because the last like minute of the song is recorded on this digital audio tape that I w that I had running as a backup. <laughs> So Backups just just important. to hear that, that's this is what it sounds like. And I was like, oh, you could totally hear that. Right there. Oh, yeah. It's like if you're listening for it, you can totally hear it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like in the in the if you're just like listening to it all the way through, it kind of just sounds like a an artful jazz drop, uh, you know, jazz refrain or whatever those called i don't know not a refrain but mm -hmm. the jazz is about the the, the notes you don't play ah. not, not the notes you play i just thought they dropped the beat Doo -doo 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 -doo. and Doo -doo -doo -doo. then from there the the song just kind of falls apart you know they, they it, it resume the chaos resumes and, <laughs> and that is the end of three minute warning and i believe that's the end of our conversation on liquid attention experiment a liquid attention experiment would you recommend it you said don't You said this is not a, a, a album to recommend to friends who aren't already in the know. So no. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you need. You, you, <laughs> this is the type of music you don't listen to when you're still got the training wheels on. Okay, okay, you red pillar. So here's the deal: if you have gotten bored of uh, modern mainstream music and you want to like, you know, expand your horizons, you feel like. I want to listen to music that's going to challenge me. Listen to Liquid Tension Experiment. If you are an opinionated hipster and a little bit behind on new things to be snobby about, give this song, give this, give this a listen. <laughs> <laughs> if you are not musically faint-hearted, impatient, or a critic of extreme self-indulgence, give it a try. If you're having some trouble getting to sleep, have at thee. Yeah, so that's that. Want to want to hear how this album did? 
Now, well, let's talk about it next time when what, what, we listen to uh, Liquid Tension Experiment no, again. No, this is the last of it, honestly. <laughs> let's, what did the world think? Liquid Tension Experiment reportedly sold over 30,000 copies in the U.S. by late 1999. That's not what you would call a runaway success. <laughs> I don't think anyone expected it to, to no. be honest. So it was just kind Labor of Labor like, of love. Yeah, that, that's all it was. Uh, in, the, in the one review that I could find that was available at the time of the album's release, Liquid Tension Experiment was praised for its variety in musicianship. Oh, that's nice. In that review, Expose said, quote, the balance of the album works a variety of instrumental landscapes from stratospheric guitar rock and melodic instrumental ballads to jazz-tinged funk and ethnic ensemble work with outstanding writing and playing by all. What does ethnic ensemble work mean? He, he labeled Osmosis, the song we talked about, as that. So the video game song he referred to as ethnic ensemble work. Because it felt like you were traveling through a jumble? Or it was like using non-traditional instrumentation, like the samples that Jordan Rudis went with were like tribal in some way. How are tribal not traditional? That's literally a tradition. Western. I don't know. I don't know. Sir, your critique is bad. And over the years, the album has been generally celebrated by prog metal fans, despite being ranked lower than other LTE releases. Prog I, I agree. This is not the best Liquid Tension Experiment album. But it'll be the only one we listen to. It's still good. It's still good. All Music sums things up nicely. They said, quote, They fit the fusion prog rock tag with plenty of chopmanship on display, but also with some allegiance to melody and restraint. Not likely to get any radio play, but then that wasn't the point of the session. Yeah. That's it. And where did Liquid Tension Experiment go from here? Liquid Tension Experiment recorded a follow-up album appropriately titled Liquid Tension Experiment 2 in 1999 and performed a series of live shows together around the world. So they did record, they did perform live. Oh, okay. It wasn't the intention, but hey, they got it. While the band was recording that second album, John Petrucci had to leave unexpectedly as his wife went into premature labor. Since they still had studio time booked, the remaining members of LTE continued to jam and improvise while Petrucci was away. Goodbye. A compilation album of those jams was released as Spontaneous Combustion under the band name Liquid Trio Experiment in 2007. (laughs) Cute. In 2008, to celebrate their 10-year anniversary, Liquid Tension Experiment reunited for a series of shows and released a multi-disc box set. During a Chicago, Illinois performance of that same tour, Jordan Rudis experienced technical difficulties early in the set. As Rudis and the tech crew worked to fix the issue, the other three LTE members continued to jam, improvising for what turned out to be the rest of the concert. Oh, wow. This entire improvised concert was released in 2009 as When the Keyboard Breaks, live in Chicago, (laughs) under under the name Liquid Trio Experiment 2. The fun having guys. And after years of teases, Liquid Tension Experiment finally reformed to record Liquid Tension Experiment 3 in 2020 as the band members were all free due to the (laughs) COVID-19 pandemic. They had nothing better to do. And that's Liquid Tension Experiment. I hope you enjoyed this strange odyssey into the uh, world of obscure progressive rock supergroups. I hope you enjoyed this once in a lifetime experience on Media Made where there was no words to sing along to, except the ones I made. Excellent. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're going to close out 
this segment and move on to something that's much more mainstream uh, with the song Universal Mind. Uh, You're going to hear a little bit of uh, heart and soul and some circus music. Oh, gosh. And uh, after that, we'll be back with Jess's album of 1998. See you on the side, kids. play like him but now you can play with him with a new jordan rudez action figure that's pretty cool comes with wizard hat and uh keyboard and what's cool about it is that when i press it so it almost looks uh, hopefully a little bit like magic the new jordan rudez action figure that is not included not endorsed by jordan rudez or free theater in any way some real hip-hop for the first time in media made history we've done like hip-hop inspired stuff but mm. like not straight hip-hop yeah it's like we've had rap in backstreet boys we've had rap <laughs> okay we've had white Florida boy rap <laughs> white boy rap we've had uh <laughs> rapping in en vogue a little bit did yeah. tony rap I don't, tony braxton i don't think she rapped no Absolutely no, no, no. Michael, also, Michael had some rap. Shack, okay. Shack rapped. Okay. <laughs> also, I know I just said Florida rap disgustedly, but that's not what I meant. It's a little bit what I meant. I don't listen to rap, hip hop, rap. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. So what are we, what are we talking about? Released August twenty fifth, nineteen ninety eight, the debut and so far only solo studio album of this acclaimed singer and rapper. That is the miseducation of Lauren Hill by Lauren Hill. Ooh. Wow, it was released on my birthday. No, it it's, it's never not. Or it's always not. <laughs> it's never not. You say that it's always, always my and it's birthday. never the case. <laughs> um, yep, yeah, so that's Lauren Hill. Uh, a, a a name I did not recognize when you said, Hey, that's my album. Wow. I didn't realize that. Really? Yeah. Really? Like, yep. Really? I had never like so the truth, I, I had heard the song we came in on, which was "Do Up That Thing," mm-hmm. that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I that I have I had heard that song on the radio, but I didn't know it was by I didn't know who the artist was. And then when you say, "Oh yeah, she was a singer in Fuji's," and I was like, "I don't know what that is either." Oh my gosh! I've I I have heard "Killing Him Softly," 
Tell me you married a white man without <laughs> telling me you married a white man. Sorry. I just did. Yeah. I hadn't heard the names of these people. I mean, okay, I'll give it to you. I'd never heard of liquid tension experiment. So I don't blame you for that one. <laughs> I blame you so hard for the Lauren Hill thing. But tell us, where, where did you hear about this album? Why is it your album? Well, well, I mean, like I said in the first half, right? Like it's just kind of <laughs> around me. And my culture and stuff, you know, like it was just always being played. Like it got a lot of ra- a lot of the songs got a lot of radio time and the ones that didn't got a lot of CD time, boombox time. Cassette uh, player time. Yeah, you know, so it's just kind of like, um, like a lot of my stuff from this era was like something that people around me listened to when I didn't have agency. Uh, to choose something, or I did have the agency, but if I touched that radio dial, I would be smacked on my hand. <laughs> um, and it's one of the few albums from my like childhood, or from not my childhood, but from when I was a kid. But my parents listened to music that I picked up later by myself. Does that make sense? It I does. think I said yeah. it more clearly earlier, kids. Like I said, I'm a little tired, but yeah. So it's just part of the cultural zeitgeist if you're black i guess but that feels like untrue it's and lauren it, it's, hill it's good enough to carry it with you to adulthood yeah the whole thing right the whole album yeah yeah i love the whole album like i have the whole album on my phone um and i shuffle through it like it's in all of my stuff but you know there's some songs i listen to more than others this but. album definitely fits the mold of like no this needs to be listened to as a whole like it's a work of art it all is. its own rather than it like is. a bunch of individual parts this is very much a Start to finish, complete package. Absolutely agree with that. Yeah. It's one of those rare ones, I think, too. Like, I mean, I definitely do cherry pick songs sometimes, but there is there's something phenomenal about just listening to it, like, beginning to end. It's a lost art for sure. And, a- uh, album yeah. tracking. I know yeah. there's a different word for it, but I call it <laughs> track listing or whatever. Formatting. Formatting, yeah. But allow me to tell you how this album was made and who Lauren Hill is, because I learned a lot. So here we go. Lauren Noel Hill was born May 26, 1975 in Newark, New Jersey. She grew up, quote, surrounded by music as her father sang in local nightclubs and at weddings. Uh, I don't think he, you know, had like a successful career, but, (laughs) you know, he was he was out there grinding, gigging. Yo, the art of the gig is not a new thing. In middle school. Hill performed the Star Spangled Banner after a basketball game. Due to the performance's popularity, subsequent games featured a recording of her rendition. Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there has to be that has that has to be on the internet somewhere. Just I didn't I didn't Hill. look, but I will after this is recorded. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I'll report back on Twitter. In 1988, Hill appeared as an amateur night contestant on It's Showtime at the Apollo. Oh, where she sang a version of the Smokey Robinson's hit. Who's Loving You? Mm. Um, as a freshman in high school in 1990, Hill was approached by classmate Prakazrel Praz Michelle. Oh, okay. Praz. That, that, that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you said it right, but pa- I wouldn't have said it better. Pakrazel. Maybe. Pakrazel? I don't know. Praz Michelle. Ah. We all know Praz. <laughs> anyway, he approached Hill about forming a music group, the duo, along with Michelle's cousin, Wycliffe John, formed hip-hop group Translator Crew shortly thereafter and began performing in local showcases and high school talent shows. Nice. So that the, the, that was the trio Ay. that would go on to become a bigger name <laughs> shortly. 
1991, Hill also began an acting career when she performed in an off-Broadway hip-hop rendering of Shakespeare's Twelfth Night called Club Twelve. Oh my gosh, that sounds like so much fun. <laughs> I, I, I think I looked it up to see if there were recordings of it. I could not find any. I think that I remember uh, at call. <laughs> I remember at university where we. I went to go see a play because I was taking a drama class. And when you took a drama class at this university, you had to attend all of the plays. Is that the one you fell asleep in? No. <laughs> that was, forgive me, that was the history of um, Peruvian music. Oh. But it, they like went classical with it. Like it started off really good. It started off like, oh, what is this? This is a new thing. Was it Peruvian? I can't remember. I fell asleep. But this drama club. Oh, right. This drama class uh one of the things that was mandatory on the syllabus is you had to attend all of the plays that were put on by the university the semester that you were taking the drama class it wasn't free you had to pay for it anyway um but they put on 12th night and i remember it taking place in a club um so they like upped it but it was still shakespearean language and it was not a musical i would see the mess out of a musical version of that give me the song i want I want it. What would a, what would a song look like? The hip hop. Give it to me. That production helped her land an agent, and she began appearing on the soap opera As the World Turns in a recurring role. Oh wow! Yeah. She. So, how old was she? Like fifteen, sixteen. Dang. I guess seventeen. She if she Still. was if she, if she was fifteen and ninety one. In nineteen ninety three, she also appeared in films King of the Hill and Sister Act Two. Yes, I. I do know her from Distract too. I definitely watched. That's a movie you still haven't seen. Nope. Does she sing? Does she sing in it? Yeah, it's a it's a musical. It's not a musical. It's a like. I, you've shown me like it's songs. a jukebox musical. You've shown me songs from sort of. that movie. In 1993, translator crew signed with Rough House Records and changed their name to Fuji's. Ah, I've heard of them. Have you heard of the Fugees? Not until this show. <laughs> I felt like Dora the Explorer right then. <laughs> that name is a derivative of the word refugee, which uh -huh. was a der like a derogatory term for uh, immigrants, I believe. Why like, is a refugee? That makes me so angry. That makes me so angry. Refugee. How is that? A Fuji, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, they're trying to take the power back. They were like explicitly political, right? They were pretty political. <laughs> Fuji's released their debut album, Blunted on Reality, in 1994. Though well-received critically, the album gained little mainstream attention at the time of its release. Mm. But all that changed with the release of their 1996 album, The Score, which received critical acclaim, peaked at number one on the Billboard 200, became the third best-selling album of the year, and won two Grammy Awards. Wow. They were off to the races. Yeah, they were. And then they decided, yeah, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's enough. But that album had... Killing Them Softly, yeah. which I had heard. They had, there's another like hit on there that I had heard too, but I can't remember what it was. Fuji's used their newfound fame to further humanitarian efforts. A Hill herself founded the Refugee Project, a nonprofit outreach organization that sought to transform the attitudes and behavior of at-risk urban youth. Mm. Uh, she raised money for Haitian refugees, supported clean water well-building projects in Kenya and Uganda, and staged a rap concert in Harlem to promote voter registration. So that's really cool. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they were politically active. Yeah, I mean, like they, they come on, my guys, like in a good way. Just like, yeah. why we need more of that. People using their platform not just to promote good, but to physically do it themselves. In 1997, Fuji's officially split up to pursue solo careers, fueled partly by interpersonal issues within within the group. Oh no. 
So here's where a Our lot of Fuji's they've broken. A lot of uh, rumor and innuendo on what was going on, but apparently Lauren Hill was romantically involved with Wycliffe John, mm. um, and they had a tumultuous relationship, from what I understand. Mm. Uh, got to the point where he married another woman while still in a relationship with her. Ooh. Yep, that was she didn't take that very well. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, very few people would take that well. <laughs> and then creative differences and, and other issues. Well, I, I know one issue was like they were not supportive of each other's solo stuff. Like Lauren Hill begrudgingly participated in John's uh, solo album mm-hmm. while he refused or was not supportive of her making her own album. Oh, and then, like, when he changed his mind and said, no, I'll help you produce, she was like, no, I don't need your help. <laughs> so, a lot of bad blood. Yeah. They, they did not split amicably. Yeah. Don't date bandmates, kids. I mean, do what you want. It's like, it's almost it. never worked. It almost never works. And especially when you're literally children, your brains have not developed and you are more ego than sense. Yep. <laughs> Around the same time, Hill began a romantic relationship with Rohan Marley. Son of Bob Marley, former University of Miami football player and entrepreneur. Cool. On August 3rd, 1997, Hill and Marley's first child, Zion David, was born. The pregnancy, as well as other circumstances in her life, inspired Hill to make a solo album. I guess she she had gone on record saying that her like later years with the Fugees, she felt creatively uh, stifled? stifled. Or mm. she had like writer's block. Mm. But then she had her baby. And she automatically, like, just immediately felt a sense of creativity. Like yeah. Like, a rush of creativity. Okay. She just wanted to write. Uh, she recalled, quote, When some women are pregnant, their hair and their nails grow. But for me, it was my mind and ability to create. I had the desire to write in a capacity that I hadn't done in a while. I don't know if it was a hormonal or emotional thing. I was very in touch with my feelings at the time. Every time I got hurt, every time I was disappointed, every time I learned, I just wrote a song. Hmm. So, I feel like... The Miseducation of Lauren Hill very much is a autobiographical album. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. <laughs> and you can you can see all the connections to her personal life through mm-hmm. the lyrics of the songs. She was like 22 upon release of this, right? Yeah, 22, 23. Ooh. Hill reportedly wrote over 30 songs during this period in her attic studio in South Orange, New Jersey. At the same time, she was collaborating with artists like C.C. Winans, Whitney Houston, and Aretha Franklin. While drawing on these influences and experiences to record her solo debut, she was just like taking in all these different influences. Yeah. Just like hip hop and R&B, mm-hmm. classic soul. soul. Ballads. <laughs> yeah. The recording process for the album began in late 1997 in New York and New Jersey, but the bulk was recorded at Tough Gong Studios in Kingston, New Jamaica, the studio built by Bob Marley. So I, I she had, was dating his son. I was telling you. She was I, with I, his son? Yeah, she was. She was dating his son. But I was telling you when we were listening to it, I could hear the Tough Gong influence mm-hmm. just in the way the music and the the style. Yeah, how it was produced. You were like, yeah. I hear it, I hear it I hear there. It. And I was yep. like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but my, okay. All, granted, all of my experience with Tough Gong Records comes from Grand Theft Auto 4. I knew you were going to say Grand Theft Auto. There's, a, there's a, a radio station in-game called Tough Gong Radio that's just their songs, like their per, songs that he produced, mm-hmm. like Bob Marley and his friends and... That whole machine. Yeah. So it sounds a lot like that. (laughs) Columbia Records, who was distributing the album, considered bringing in an outside producer for the album. But Hill was adamant about writing, arranging, and producing the album all by herself. And she did. 
She said, quote, I had total control of the album. Chris Schwartz at Rough House, my label, said, quote, listen, you've never done anything stupid thus far, so let me let you do your thing. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Hey, you have a good head on your shoulders and you've been doing a lot of like good political and activism stuff. Go ahead. Hey, you know what I think is interesting? Both of these albums um, have that kind of like, all right, like that trust Creative in the artist. freedom. Yeah. That's how you make, like a lot of the time, that's how you make good art, mm -hmm. you know? I feel like the only time when a, a label needs to have Rain a tight sword. grip is if the artist is getting out of control. If the artist is Axl Rose. <laughs> yeah, if they waste <laughs> too much money and not do anything. If they spend all their money and then have to produce it themselves because it's all gone on booze, drugs, and ladies. Yeah, yeah, no, no. It was like, if, if they're creative and productive, let them do their thing. Yeah. Musically, the album took on a neo-soul and R&B sound as Hill, quote, didn't want to come out with a Fuji's type of sound, mm -hmm. but create, quote, something that was uniquely and very clearly a Lauryn Hill album. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. The miseducation of Lauryn Hill was largely a collaboration between Hill and a group of studio musicians known as New Ark. Okay. Uh, the album also featured contributions by Julian Marley, D'Angelo, and Mary J. Blige, just to name a few. The album was titled The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, referencing Carter G. Woodson's 1933 book, The Miseducation of the Negro, and the 1972 autobiography, The Education of Sonny Carson, mm. which were like important novels in the canon of like black history. Yeah, yeah. I have not read them. I, I read the, the synopsis on Wikipedia <laughs> and they seemed important. Heavy. <laughs> yes. Important. Absolutely. And that's the miseducation of Lauryn Hill. Oh, okay. The making of? Yep, that's yeah. the making of. So we can talk about the album. So the album actually starts with a skit. That's true. Like a lot of uh, 90s rap records did. <laughs> uh, it's <Aaliyah>. called <laughs> We're gonna Will do Smith. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We're going to do a little bit better than uh, Aaliyah, though, because I know for that one, I was like, we're just going to treat this intro as a song because I don't want to talk about any songs on this list. But uh, let's, let's listen to intro. Please respond when I call your name. All right, Kevin Charles, Jairus Boykin, Alicia Simmons, Philip Valdez, Gabrielle Salado, um, Latoya Bradbury, Anton Mitchell, Shaquan Sutton, Lori Thomas, Taryn Lucas, Camille Caldwell, Tamika Marshall, Lauren Hill, Lauren Hill. Lauren Hill, are you there? Biola. Are you truant? Is she truant? She missed her education. Um, so the intro, like a lot, this intro reappears several times as like kind of like a framing skit. Yeah. Where it's like supposed to be inside of a classroom where mm -hmm. a teacher is addressing children uh, about the concept of love. Yeah. Uh, the teacher was played by American poet and politician Ross Baraka. Oh, okay. Speaking to a group of children in Hill's living room in New Jersey. <laughs> and uh, Hill requested that Baraka speak to the children about the concept of love to which he improvised the entire thing. I mean, and it's really well done. Yeah. We're gonna like you get really like 
honest answers from these kids and it's we'll hear a little bit of it in some of the songs that we talk about because mm -hmm. like i think two of the songs that we're going to talk about today uh feature skits involving the teacher and the kids before the song after actually oh after right right because yeah. i was like it's not in the actual song <laughs> yeah they, they usually play at the end of the track so yeah yeah first song we're going to talk about is actually the first song on the album like the first actual song mm -hmm. after intro right it's called lost ones yeah It's funny how money changes situations. Miscommunication lead to complications. My emancipation don't fit your equation. I was on the humble you on every station. Someone play young Lauren like she done. So you 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 gave this one to me because you were you were like let let's hear an actual rap song. Yeah. So this is a rare occasion where uh, kids were Rod like was like it's your album. Pick, pick everything you want. Because usually he has something that he's like, I really want to talk about this. I want to talk about this one. But this one he's like, I don't know. Just choose what you want. But I wanted something that he would like, this is this album is a spectrum of a of female emotion. Yes. That's what it is. Um, and so I didn't want to just be like, and this one, and this one. So I was like, this I feel like has a lot of elements that I feel like you would feel really good about jumping in on. <laughs> Kids, I wish you were there. I wish I had like recorded it so I could like put like just the audio of it up on Instagram. I'm just like in this in the living room working, and I just hear, oh, oh, dang, oh, she's not pulling any punches. Like <laughs> the song is like four minutes long, but I swear he had to pause it sometimes and be like, oh my gosh, did she go there? <laughs> like he was. I, like, I I got <laughs> really emotional listening to these songs. I'm gonna be honest. Yeah, they're they're well crafted. They are very good. Emotional twenty somethings. Ooh, a female so, will wreck you. <laughs> Lost Ones is widely considered a diss song, which I think is the first for media made. Diss track, let's do it. Yep, uh, <laughs> with outlets like The Ringer, Complex, and MTV featuring it on their list of greatest diss tracks ever. Okay. Uh, <laughs> though not named in the song, Hill's former Fuji's bandmate, Wycliffe John, is thought to be the subject of this song. Well, you guys thought Taylor Swift was the it's, one. <laughs> it, it's so obvious. It's like that... that <laughs> He, she's talking about her ex-bandmate lover, Mr. Jean. Well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, she's so mean <laughs> in this song. I, like, legit didn't really, like, make many notes on I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's just highlight. I basically underlined the whole song. Like, dang. Yeah, I dang. had to, like, I had to refrain myself from doing <laughs> yeah. that because, like, every, every stanza is just it's, kind of, like, jam-packed with, with messages here, you know? Yeah. Like, you heard the opening there. It's funny. How money can change a situation. Miscommunication leads to complication. My emancipation don't fit your equation. I was on the humble. You on every station. And, uh, you know, it's funny how money can change a situation, meaning that once once they got famous, you know, once once they became successful musicians, things changed. Yeah. As things happen. And I feel like this isn't only I don't think this was directed at just one member of her band, but both mm -hmm. of them. It's like. She's calling them both out because as soon as they got famous, they had the biggest hit of their, their career. And Things then they changed. fell apart. <laughs> yeah. Attitudes changed. Priorities changed. And uh, yeah, she's the relationship status has changed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, th there was quotes from um, her bandmates regarding this song. So when asked if he believes the song is about him, Jean responded, quote, personally, I don't take it as a shot. However, Fuji's member Praz claimed that John did think the song was about him when it was released, stating, quote, 
Obviously, he thought it was about him, but I think he just kind of shrugged, shrugged it off. <laughs> Which I think is just, you got to do that, you Yeah, know? you just got to roll with it. Like, mm. And, <clears throat> like, early in the song, it's clear she's talking about her, her, her ex-lover here. Because it goes, a groupie call, you fall from temptation. Now you want to bail over separation. Tarnish my image in your conversation. Who are you going to scrimmage like you're the champion? You might win some, but you just... Lost, lost one. one. I was like, Ooh. you Ooh. you might win some, but you just lo lost one, meaning me. Me, yeah. Oof. And and I, I don't know the situation between Wycliffe John and his his wife at the time, right? The 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 wife he married while in a relationship with Lauren Hill. Ugh. But to refer like, if she's calling her a groupie, that you know, I was like, that's low. I, she's I, upset. Yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, I mean, how are you in a relationship with your bandmate that you're like probably touring with and stuff? And ha that was my thought. Like, how are you about to get married? If you're in a relationship with someone that you see all the time, like what her calling them a groupie, I'm like, whether that was true or not, that's a low, that's a low blow. It's real that's low. A <clears throat> Lauren had some of those. <laughs> We're not going to talk about all her songs, but sometimes I'm like, sweetie, I know you're mad at him. <laughs> please, please, please refrain from drawing other people into it. She was already in it, but did she know? That Lauren was dating, like, ooh, I, I don't, don't know. know. That's the, that's the, and the the song's hook, the chorus, interpolates Sister Nancy's 1982 hit "Bam Bam," which I have not heard. Have you heard that? No. But uh, yeah, apparently she's taken. She this this album does that a lot. It doesn't necessarily sample classic tunes, but it takes elements from them. Yeah, like lyrically, to a vocal melody, something mm -hmm. to invoke. Yeah, like the feeling of something else, which I think is so smart. Like it's such a, like I can understand her um, <clears throat> saying she wanted to create something new, and I feel like this feels very new. Like there's so much, much so many like references and stuff jam packed. It's like um, it's like it's like a remix, like she, in, in, in like a, a new way. I don't know, a creative remix where she's taking in elements and like shaking them up and making them new. Yeah, you know, it's like a it's like a a well shaked smoothie. <laughs> what I don't know, <laughs> like. Like a Sunday, the Sundays are well shaped. <laughs> Not shaped, but like it, it's it's well blended. Got it, got it. It's a well blended latte, <laughs> macchiato. Wait, those are blended. <laughs> Do you even drink, sir? I'm just saying things. <clears throat> I think that like it's interesting in some of the some of the ways that she just I don't know, man. Some of the things, the lines that she just plugs in here that i outside of the situation like knowing the situation just as like i'm taking this and i'm applying it to my life as a 20 something i'm not doing that but like you just ooh, like now now how come your talk turned cold trying to grab a hold of what you can't control i just skipped a line um uh your movement similar to a serpent tried to play straight how your whole style bent now now how come your talk turned cold gain the whole world for the price of your soul trying to grab hold of what you can't control now you all lost with a sight to behold wisdom is better than silver and gold i was hopeless now i'm all hope every man 
act like he's exempt. Need to get down on his knees and repent. Can't slick talk on the day of judgment. The movement's similar to a serpent. Try to play straight how your whole style been. Consequences, no coincidence. Hypocrites always want to play in the like. Uh, like, she's calling out all men there just, too. Yeah, in general. She's like, of course, because you're a man. Yeah, like it says, every man want to act like he's exempt when he need to get down on his knees and repent. Can't slick talk on Judgment Day. Your movement's similar to Slurpent. Yeah, all those things. Um, or always want to take oh, this. This is the one I was like, girl. Mm. <laughs> always want to take it to the full out extent always want to make it seem like good intent never want to face it when it's time for punishment like lauren baby you're not okay i'm not gonna ask you're not okay this is a lot of mm, and i'm with you <laughs> like you know where i'm like ooh, especially when she when the music's going like not just reading it but you just she's hitting she is hitting those bars like she's doing it and i'm like yeah she ain't even lie though that, Where that, the lie? That line about you need to get on your knees and repent. I was like, that is such a like, I feel like that's that's such a burn or like I, it's such an insult where it's like, I, I feel like there's nothing more patronizing <laughs> and rude than telling someone you're in sin. You need to repent. You know? <laughs> like, it's like, stop it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it, it's, it's sort of like she's saying it disingenuously. You know, it's just like, mm -hmm. boy, you need to, I, I, you know. Like you need to be right with the Lord. Yeah. You know, get get on get down. Yeah, on it's like pray. um in I'll I'll pray for you. Yeah. You know, like, that kind of thing. Like it's in the South when someone says, Oh, bless you. Yeah. It's not a kind thing. It's that or is when being people said. You're, you're talking behind someone's back and they did something wrong. Mm, I'm gonna pray for them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right? It's just like, ooh, ooh, okay. Yeah. And so I read that it just it seemed like so patronizing, you know. <laughs> So I don't know. I, I was laughing on that part because it it just seems so real. It reminds me of like there's a song in, by Jay Z where he talks about like, yeah, I, I try to pray for him, talk mm -hmm. to the Lord, you know. <laughs> and I'm like is there, it, 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 it's be like I don't want your prayers, thank you. <laughs> uh, and, I, right, and right before that line, also um, I do want to mention that she says, "Wisdom is better than silver and gold." Mm -hmm. I was hopeless. Now I'm on Hope Road. So Hope Road is actually a reference to the Tough Gong Studios uh, because Lost Ones was written and recorded at the studio in New York City, but it was completed at Tough Gong Studios in Kingston, Jamaica, with Hope Road being the address for the studio in Kingston. Nice. Be like, I'm on the cup up. Come yeah. up. It's I fine. feel like <laughs> this song very much is a reference to her leaving New York behind and basically starting a new in Jamaica mm -hmm. with a new sound, a new perspective, a new attitude. Yeah. And so this song is sort of like, it's culminated here in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And with that said, the song features Lauren Hill singing in Patois, uh, which is a common dialect in Jamaica. Huh. And you could hear it, like she's going for it with some of the, the dialect choices she uses to sing yeah. this song in particular. Yeah. Which I it's like, I think one, it's cool because she's reflecting the the environment that she's recording in but yeah. also I, there's something like really forceful and like i don't know like authoritative like strong about mm. that patois yeah no honestly and the um i don't know it says a lot about her as not just as an artist but as like a person that she like includes it not as not to be like patronizing but to like celebrate it 
Yeah. And do it correctly. Yes. But I would I, I think so. Yeah. And, and I think she's just, you know, honoring her new family. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or, or paying homage to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to the <laughs> get on your knees and pray kind of stuff. Uh, one of the verses says, now, don't you understand, man, universal law, what you throw <laughs> out back to you, star, which is another Jamaicaism. Because mm-hmm. uh, karma, karma, karma comes back to you hard. You can't hold God's people back that long. Satan chain ain't that strong. That chain, <laughs> Shaitan, ah. wasn't made that strong. Trying to pretend like your word is your bond until you do right, it all you do will go wrong. Now don't you understand, man, universal law? What you throw out, come back to you, star. Never underestimate those who you scar. Cause come on, come on, come on, come back to you hard. You can't hold God, people back that long. The chain of Shaitan wasn't made that strong. Trying to pretend like your word is your mom. But until you do right, all you do will go wrong. Now some might mistake this for just a simple song. And some don't know what they have till it's gone. Now even when you're gone, you can still be reborn. So she's referencing many different religions there. Yeah. Karma with Buddhism and mm-hmm. and, and obviously like, you know, Christianity, Catholicism, that yeah. kind of stuff. And then Shaitan is a reference to Islam. Shaitan are evil spirits in Islam. Inciting humans to sin by whispering into their heart. Hmm. And during Ramadan, the, the those devils are said to be chained in hell. Huh. So she's invoking all these religions. I, in my head, I was just like, she's basically telling this guy, you've sinned too many gods. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, baby. You've it's sin- not that deep, but it is, though. You've sinned in the face of many gods. You've sinned in many religions. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this Lauren. This is an excellent diss track because you got to be you got to be at another level. <laughs> I was like, it, it's it's like you're you're not just you're not just Adam here. You know, you're not mm. like this isn't like first sin. It's like all sins. All sins. You've committed I, all sin, man. I feel like she's lying in that hook then like. You might win some, but you just lost one. No, you lost one over and over and over again, it seems. Which that's why she keeps saying it. And yeah, for real. And I even like just just be uh, behind that part that you're talking about. It says, now some might mistake this for a simple song and some don't know what they uh, have till it's gone. I was like sitting here, I put me. I would have mistaked this for a simple song. And that kind of another drag, or, like another one where it's just like, if he sits there and thinks this isn't about him. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> anyway, yeah, this song is just so like jam packed with just neat like just Ugh. stabs. Like Ugh. she's just stabbing this guy, dude. <laughs> death by death by a thousand stabs. Many many cuts. Huh. <laughs> uh, is that all we got to say, hon? <laughs> yeah. I think Lauren said it all. I I do have to say, kids. I know that usually at the end of these things, we're like, you should listen to the go and listen to the song right now. Just do it. Just do it. <laughs> Lost Ones is often considered to be one of the best diss songs by many critics. As I said, in 2013, Complex named it the best rap song made by a woman, and, and in 2017, Rolling Stone ranked it 45th on their 100 greatest hip hop songs of all time list. All right. Um, and of course. <clears throat> this song is one of those songs that does end with a skit, going back to the teacher. Mm-hmm. So let's, as we transition let's to the next. Check in with the class. Yeah. 
right, people. I'm gonna write something on the board. Let's spell it. First letter. L. O. What's that? Love. What? Love. How many people know any songs about love? Right here. I know a lot about love. Tell me some titles. Titles. What's some songs? Love. There's a song called Love. <laughs> yeah, it's no a song called Love. It's by Kirk Franklin. All right, what is it? How I go? It goes Love. It goes Love. It goes. There's no song called Love. It's adorable. <laughs> it's really well done. I, I also think it's hilarious that she tells, hey, we're going to have a teaching lesson to little kids about love after I just like burned my ex-lover <laughs> at the stake. It's still love. Oh, wow. Yeah, honestly, the audacity queen. <laughs> She's got the power. I mean, <laughs> she hasn't screwed up yet. <laughs> Let her do what she wants. The next song we're going to talk about is another diss song. In a way, in the same vein, she, the she same did, vein, same to, arm, same person. She needed to camp on these ideas. She needed to get all this stuff out before she can move on to some lighter <laughs> things. But that song is called X Factor. I love X Factor. Get it? Like ex boyfriend? Yeah. So before we get into the lyrics here, I got to say that X Factor features replayed elements of the song Can It All Be So Simple by the Wu-Tang Clan, Yeah, which itself samples Gladys Knight and the Pips cover of The Way We Were. Yeah. So it's like... <laughs> Russian nesting dolls of music. Yes, yes. It's like that, that's hip-hop's final form, isn't it? <laughs> to continuously sample something over yep. and over again in different ways. But um, that reminded me of a... Of, of, video essay that you made me watch ah. in quote it was more it was more of just a i don't even just like a video art piece yeah kinda. it's uh by now you see it it used to be on youtube but <laughs> copyright <laughs> it it. really badly copyrighted because all of it is it's a retrospective i think is the best way to would talk about it yeah it's like not very long it's like seven minutes and it just takes um media it's a short video. film really yeah, yeah short it's a yeah, short film. it's a short film let's go with that um and just taking all the elements of a, a lot of uh hill's career and um interviews and and whatnot and comparing it to some uh contemporary singers and stuff like that it kind of shows like the not only the influences of lauren hill but the the legacy that she's left behind yeah it, it shows there are like you know sequences where it shows how she would take uh, a song from you know her childhood maybe like mm -hmm. the 60s and 70s like a Gladys Knight yeah and then reappropriate it for her music mm -hmm. and then having artists from today you know then reappropriate those ideas into their music yeah so it's sort of like this long line of, of Russian listing yeah dolls. yeah really <laughs> so that's that's what that reminded me of but uh this song is also claimed to be about former Fuji's bandmate 
Wycliffe John. Yeah, this is probably one of my favorite Lauryn Hill songs. It might be my favorite. This one's not as like scathing and angry, <clears throat> but it's still. So says you. I mean, the man. It's more subtle. <laughs> it's not as like outright. You know, it's not a mm. violent thing. It's more like a. <laughs> not calling a, him a sinner in every language in the world. <laughs> it's, a, it's a. It's it's more of a quiet contempt. Mm. Yeah. And, and and like the the song starts where I feel like it's it's kind of like meditating on the relationship that used to be yeah and like remembering some of the good times yeah I, uh, I i really feel like the song is written like the perspective is not meta is in the relationship towards the end of it it's not like i'm looking back on it it's like this is what i was feeling in the last the death rolls right of um this relationship and regretting that it's gotten how as bad as it is you know yeah. it's just like the, the song opens it could be so simple but you'd rather make it hard Loving you is like a battle where we both end up with scars, right? Where it's like, it could just be mm -hmm. so simple. Yeah. Like, just looking at the alternative. It's like, why is this so difficult? Yeah. This is yeah. supposed to be a good thing. Love is supposed to be good. It's Lo Love is the thing we teach little children to value and we yeah. sing about. Yeah. That's what we just heard in that <laughs> exactly. classroom setting. I think that the song is so insidious in that. Like, not not like the song is insidious, but the the what it's talking about is like in the insidious nature of some forms of love kind of thing. Uh, I love this song so much. <laughs> like every line is a like, ooh, right? Um, whereas you're like, it's not, it's not as hard hitting as that, the last one as distract wise goes, but I think it's even more because I don't do this to you because I love you very deeply and I cherish our relationship, but this is talking down to a person because they just can't comprehend. I'm gonna put on a voice. I'm gonna direct it to you. This is no way indicative of how I feel about you. Like, babe, it could be so simple, but you, you're making it hard. This is like a battle and we're both ending up with scars. So maybe, maybe do you think that you could show me some reciprocity? Maybe. Do you think that like, if I made food for you, maybe you wash the dishes or maybe you want to make food for me? Like, is it, do you see how you're, how it could be easy? <laughs> That's what the song is doing. He's like, it's like treating like a little <laughs> but it's baby. beautiful yeah. because sometimes, not sometimes. Men are immature. Oh, okay. People I'm not, are, I'm not going to hold this just to men <laughs> because I know some women, but like, but like, that's the tone. Like we're at the end of it where you're just like, why aren't you seeing sense? Like, why are you being so immature? Why is it? Do you see how easy the solution would be? Why do I have to be the grown up here? Why do I have to be the only, like, why am I mothering you? Why do I need to tell you how to be a decent person in this relationship? Yep. That's what this is. Throwing Wycliffe under the bus. But it's so beautifully <laughs> sung. Yeah. It's like so, I love this song so much. But yeah. like it also, it hits hard because it's it's not just like talking down, but it's also saying, okay, do I need to keep changing, right? Like tell me who I have to be to gain some reciprocity. Tell me who I have to be to make it even easier for you to just, Pretend you care.
Yeah. And the answer apparently is you have to be another woman completely. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's like I, I, the the chorus there does say, "See, no one loves you more than me, mm-hmm. and no one will ever, and no one Never. ever will." Which I feel like is also still like there's. There's that unfinished business or that like remorse, you know, you, you, it happens. You break up with someone, time kind of like kind of evens out, irons out some of the hurts, mm-hmm. you know, the scars. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the wounds heal a little you bit. They distance. leave some scars and, and you, you start to filter out the bad and you're just left with the good memories and you yeah. have that like, you know, regret, remorse, like, oh, I, you know, just like it's. Sort of like a nostalgic response where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, you know, that was so nice. I'd like to give that a try. You know, we should give that a try. Again. Nope. You know, that's it's not mm-hmm. healthy. No. Especially in a very Ooh. difficult there's, relationship. There's but, a lot of non-healthy here. <laughs> but that is a val like it's a valid emotion that people feel where it's yeah. like it did not work. You made that plainly clear. Mm-hmm. I recognize it that it didn't work, but that doesn't keep me from you know that doesn't change the fact that i still love you a lot yeah you know and, and it probably will never change yeah because like it it was very real and very like big i guess when it was there you know like you get to look back and be like wow i was really in it i really thought that was something that it turned out not to be or it was something and it turned into something different yep there, there's evidence of uh of you know an unhealthy Back and forth here. Yeah. Where they... There's oh, that, we'll get there. <laughs> there's that thing where it's like you, you try to make it work, but it's clearly not going to work. But, you know, you... you I don't know. It's like it's a relationship built on antagonism here. It makes it seem like the, the bridge says, no matter how I think we grow, you always seem to let me know it ain't working. It ain't working. And when I try to walk away... You hurt yourself to make me stay. Sorry. This is crazy. <laughs> this is crazy. One that is that is a very pretty bridge. That's mm-hmm. like her her voice like is gorgeous there. Oh gosh, the song is so good. I just yeah. want to listen to the whole thing right now. <laughs> but that demonstrates the unhealthy nature mm-hmm. of their relationship where it's like, no, stop. Yeah. You guys are like manipulating each other. Yeah. It's like, you know, one person is you hurt yourself to make me stay. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, that's it. while also communicating that, yeah, this relationship's just not working. Yeah. All bad. Narcissism. (laughs) Um, It's all bad. This relationship, as it is painted here, do we know if this is what the relationship really looked like? No, and it's none of our business. That was was a personal thing between two people. We don't care. The characters in this song, not healthy. Not at all. Um, I keep letting you back in. How can I explain myself? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I like... It's so like that was that was a really big part that well, I want to we skipped a verse that doesn't I didn't really highlight it, but I just thought like that it feeds into this, right? Like, um, is this just a silly game that forces you to act way, this way, forces you to scream my name and then pretend you can't stay? Um, she's asking for him to explain himself. Like, why one minute is are you all about me? You're you're all on me, you're baby this, honey that, you're screaming my name. Sex. 
Uh, and then suddenly the heat of the moment has, is done and stuff. And you're like, oh, yeah, I can't stay the night. I can't stay for dinner. I can't stay the weekend. I just can't. You know, like, we're just going to, why? Why are you doing, this is the thing she's saying. Like, it could be simple, but you're making it difficult. Why? What is happening? Could you explain to me? And then when I'm like, I got to, I just got to go. I got to get out of this. You pull me back in with unhealthy things. And um, where she, like, she gets to that part where she's just like, I keep letting you back in. How can I explain myself? And right below that, uh, a couple lines late, it goes, uh, you let go and I'll let go too. Because no one hurts me more yeah. than you. And no one ever will. Uh, that, that was the point in the song where I went, ooh. Because <laughs> that's an inversion of the chorus. Because the chorus is mm-hmm. loving you. Wait, uh, the chorus is, see, no one loves you more than me and no one ever will. And then mm-hmm. it goes into the chorus. Then at the the last time she says it, it's because no, no one's hurt me more no, than you and no, no one, one ever, ever will. will. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, going to break something. I was like, that's the lowest blow of all. Oh, I just can't be. Yeah, I, ooh, it's true. I, but okay, I wrote a note here, right? Like, uh, you let go and I'll let go too. Here it's um, saying, I put, I wrote this down. I said, people often say, just leave. But um, sometimes it's not that easy. Sometimes what seems like a one-person decision is really a two-person decision. Like, and it seems like because of how toxic and how, um, unsafe this relationship is depicted to be right like i like the lauren character saying like you have to let go first so that i can let go because if i let go first and you threaten to hurt yourself and then you do like i'm letting go to protect myself but doesn't mean i still i don't love you that i don't have these feelings for you nobody will ever love me like you love you like i love you and if i let go to protect myself and you hurt yourself like Therapy. I know it's in a lot, kids. Therapy. Also, don't stay with someone just because they threaten to hurt themselves. If they do, 5150, call the people on them. Get them the help that they need. If it was a joke, not a joke. If they were just trying to say, no. Okay, I'm off that soapbox. All I'm saying here is, right, like, sometimes in a relationship, right, like, it has to be, even if it's a bad break, it has to be a mutual break because there are some holes that you can't suck yourself out of. And I just like, so when you're like, Ooh, I'm like sobbing. (laughs) Like it it, it hits so hard, but it's also like, that is incredibly sad and worrying baby. How old were you? You were like 20 when all of this was going down. Probably. Oh, sweetie, I know you were a grown woman, much older than me now, but I'm talking to the girl in this song, baby. The, the, at the end of the song doesn't does make it seem like there's a bit of closure, at least. You know, I feel like that's what this whole album is about, is like finding closure mm-hmm. and then like trying to, you know, establish the next chapter. Yeah. 
I like love the ending reframe over and over again. Like obviously it just, ooh, if I'm alone in my car singing that mess, I feel it deeply. I have cried a time or two because I've just felt it so deeply and I'm just like singing those words. But I think um, even the reframe changes pretty quickly, right? Like when you see it first, uh, care for me, care for me. I know you care for me, there for me, there for me. You said you'd be there for me. And then when it repeats that again, it says, care for me, care for me. You said you care for me. So it goes from, I know you care for me to you said you care for me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like- Throwing them under the bus, ooh, man. Like, yeah. And it's also like her realizing that there's a difference. Like, I know you do. Mm. I know you said you did. I know you told me you do, but I can't know. And from what I'm seeing, it's not. And the line that always gets me, like when I became an adult and I like really heard it, right? Like cry for me, cry for me. You said you die for me, give to me, give to me. Why won't you live for me? <sighs> My guys, <laughs> guys, I don't understand how you don't get emotional. I'm tearing up right now. Like, ugh. <laughs> Well, to lift our spirits, let's hear the epic guitar solo that ends the song. <laughs> That is a guitar by Johari Newton of New Ark. Mm. So thank you, Mr. Newton. <laughs> thank you for lifting us up with that sobbing guitar for yeah. a little bit. Got the, got that soul, the, just that that you know soulful ending there. You know that that's like, you know, without the hip hop drum beat, I, I feel like that song could have been written in the '60s or '70s. You know, mm. it just has that feel to it. It's like a timeless feel. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> so because haven't good. we all been hurt in our 20s yeah if you're not 20 yet kid <sighs> hey. hey hey we're available on instagram and twitter if you need to talk <laughs> 22 is a hard year no matter who you are 22 23 trash years trash years no matter who you are it's true all right next up the song we're going to talk about is called i think a bit more optimistic yeah, getting through this, a lot of the the daint, you know, the the mucky muck of of bad relationships and mm -hmm. trying to look forward to the future. And that song is everything is everything. Before I even get into the lyrics, interesting factoid about this song. Uh -huh. This song marked the first commercial appearance of pianist John Legend. Wow. Baby John Legend oh performed piano on this child. song. 
He was 19 years old when oh. this song was recorded. Baby face, baby face. <laughs> <laughs> He's so young, in fact, that in the album's liner notes, he is credited by his birth name, John Stevens. So the when did he become a legend? I don't know. The legend wasn't born yet. <laughs> but the legend was true. <laughs> and he's here in this song. That's a cool fat toy. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this song. Uh, I was I was going to talk. So the reason we're talking about this song is because um, I knew most of the songs that I wanted to talk about. But there's just so much on this uh, album that it was like kind of hard to decide and then also to balance the talk so it wasn't like diss track after diss track. Um, so I reached out to my mom. Mom text. No, 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 I have an Android. You have to use my Android sound. The sound that I have for my mother when she texts me. <clears throat> and so when I asked her at first, I sent her a screenshot of like the album track listing and I blocked out the ones that we were already gonna talk about. And at first she said, we should talk about hope so bad, or we should talk about hurt so bad. And I asked well, her. We were already listening to songs where she hurt so bad. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know. I was saying to Rod, like, I don't know if I want to do that. But I was like, really? Why? And she says, because I like the song. And I was like, can can you have can you have more to say about that? And then like later that night, she texted me saying, change my mind. Everything is everything because it speaks of hope after trying times like like we are in right now because change comes eventually and i thought that was so nice so i just yeah. uh wanted to i was like all right mom we can talk about everything is everything it's, it's funny like, <laughs> we, we need talk, that hope we talked about the album telling a story in itself right the the, the songs were arranged in such a way as they tell their own emotional story right mm -hmm. this song come the song's called everything is everything it comes right after a song called nothing even matters <laughs> She knew what she was doing. So nothing even matters. You you get, you know, that that stuff out of the way. You get the the hopelessness of life out of the way and then you kind of come to terms with it. And, yeah. and everything is everything. Because that's what the song's about. This it, is this is a whole cycle of grief. This is a song about accepting just the injustice and uncertainty in life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like I got a I got a funny story to tell. Uh I used to be a supervisor at a certain parcel company. Mm -hmm. Um and a common saying amongst supervisors at this place was the phrase, it is what it is. <laughs> because we were, you know, part-time supervisors, center managers. We had a large pecking order of, you know, uh, corporate overlords ahead above us. Right. Give, you know, basically laying down the law mm -hmm. that we had to follow. And it was like they would make horrible, bad decisions that made no sense. And yeah. we were given no guidance or instruction. Or explanation on why we had to do the things we did. Yeah. And little support, you know. <laughs> and when you're in that position, you just have to throw your hands up and say, it is what it is. All I can do is do the best I can with what I'm given. Yeah. This song is a it is what it is song. Yeah. Uh, and she addresses who she's talking to specifically early in the song, right? She says, I wrote these words for everyone who struggles in their youth, mm -hmm. who want to accept deception instead of what is truth. Who won't accept deception. Who, who won't accept deception instead of what is truth.
Yeah. That's who the song's for. And it's for everybody who is in a situation like her <laughs> or similar. Yeah, it's like a song for the downtrodden. Yeah. The oppressed. The 20-somethings. <laughs> I'm not laughing at you kids. I was there as well. Ooh. Ooh. I think, like, honestly, I, I uh, highlighted mo- basically that entire verse. Um, I wanted to highlight the entire song. Like, I yeah. had trouble just picking out what I felt were the most important words because they felt like this song is just... Everything she says the right things. Mm-hmm. Every part of the song. So wise for such a young girl. I mean, she's got a lot going on, but I think like, but I think the beginning like really resonated with me because it comes right after right. So change it comes eventually. I wrote these words for everyone who's young, uh, whoever for everyone who struggles in their youth, who won't accept deception instead of truth. It seems we all. Uh, it seems we lose the game before we even start to play. Who made these rules? Why are we so confused? I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I'm like, that is just an indictment on yeah. like the power structures <laughs> that we all are subject to. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you if you live in a society, you are subject, subject to some systems, yeah. multiple systems, intersecting systems. Right. And you can't help but just ask the question, who made these rules? Yeah. I feel like I was making, like, looking at it, it made me think about how you've been asking that recently. Like, if you are trying to buy a house in California, in the U.S., it's a lot of it is like, who made, why is it like this? We we lost the game before we even wanted to start to play. Yeah. It's like, we were in for a bad time trying to buy a house before we even we're out of high school. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and who made these rules? We're not going to get into it because he's just went on a whole Bitcoin rant before we started the this. The subprime mortgage, the big banks. <laughs> oh, no. They did it. But I think like. Well, I mean, in, in her day, you know, like injustice goes far back. Yeah. It, injustice it, is everywhere. Yeah. But I think like, I don't know. This was making me really think about like the struggles that I had when I was her age of the writing of this. I can remember working three jobs and having a hundred dollars a month outside of rent. And that's not like outside of rent and bills and da da da. Like that's not outside of rent. So I had a hundred dollars to feed myself, to put gas in my car, to get to my three jobs and to keep my phone bill on. Like, you know, like, uh, and that was a couple of years, you know, and thinking about, different struggles that different family members have had or like how I've been involved. It's just like, sometimes like when I look back, I think about, and when I, sometimes when I look back and think about my life during that time, I don't understand how I'm here currently. (laughs) There were so many misses where I was just like, I should be dead, my guy. Like I should be unalive. How did I make it through? You know, how did I make it through? Very scarred, but how am I on the other side? And some of it is getting to this this kind of realization, like, Kesarasara. Like sometimes it is what it is. Sometimes that really sucky, sucky thing is just gonna suck, and you have to figure out a way around. That it. is part of the human. That is just part of the human condition. I don't want to be human. Everything is everything. Meaning, the human ex- the human condition existence. <laughs> it, it is just is gosh if this was a video format you'd just see us flailing our hands just like i don't know my guy like <laughs> that open that 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 opening where she talks about like you know 
being set to play and you know, a losing game before it even starts mm-hmm. uh, where rules are set against her reminds me of the uh, debates around equity that I, you hear about lately, yeah. you know, where it's like, well, how do people amass wealth? You know, the two biggest ways that people amass wealth are uh, through inheritance mm-hmm. and home ownership. Uh, unfortunately, there was a group of peoples who did not have the luxury of home ownership. In fact, they didn't have ownership of any property. Uh, you know, until they were given rights as human beings, <laughs> you know, and they couldn't amass wealth for generations to generations. So, you know, mm. there's that like Martin Luther King talked about it, yeah. right? Where it's like two runners at the starting line. But, you know, they, they one of the one of the starting races is like farther back. Yeah. Or like one person's told to wait at the starting line longer than mm-hmm. the person who, who gets to run ahead farther. Yeah. Ahead. So it's like they're all running the same race, but one person had, had the opportunity to start before the other person did right you know uh and you know that's just what happens when it's like you know certain people like i i can speak for myself where it's like i am uh, uh trigger warning privileged mm-hmm. to have had you know that's very true money my pa- having my parents money to help me mm-hmm. through a different you know deal with my early 20s right yeah it's like i had opportunities because of my parents accumulated wealth, Yeah, you know? Yeah, no, and that's like, I'm really grateful. Like, obviously I wouldn't be married to you if you weren't (laughs) aware of some of your privileges. And I know even like, as we grow and learn to get there, like more privileges that like are made known to you that maybe you never thought about, or I hadn't really thought about either, you know, that we're like, oh, wow. You know, like even in talk and, it's like some disadvantages like where it's things where it's just kind of like you've never heard of lauren hill which is like not a big thing but there will be things where i'll say like yeah this and you'll be like what (laughs) i have no idea what that what are you talking about you know like where it's it's so it's so different like oh oh it's so hard to exists some days right like and and she's right she's more right than thanos it is inevitable <laughs> like <laughs> and then she like i feel like half the song is just a rap like she she just straight up just raps for half the song and it's such a great rap can i say even in that like i marked that and i put um this is poetry in a way that i think that a lot of and not all but a lot of contemporary music has lost like even just reading through it i was like this is this is poetry this is poetry not just stuff rhyming Yeah, she's just going for it. Mm-hmm. I was like, not only is like, I feel like with the songwriting, a lot of modern music has lost this this degree of poetry. Yeah. Rappers don't have this flow anymore. Okay. I don't I don't listen to a lot of rap. Listen, so a lot I- of a lot of modern rap is very drone like. It's like the same this it's like they, they don't even have a vocal melody. It's just kind of like 
We, we joke about that dumb song where it's like, I drink till I'm high. <laughs> I'm high till I'm drunk. Wait. <laughs> I drink till I'm drunk. I smoke till I'm high. I was I like, that's I not a flow. Till I'm wake. <laughs> it's just repetitive. Like she's going, she's just, I don't know. She's going for it. Yeah, she's I mean, got, She has a flow that I don't hear modern rappers flow with anymore. Yeah, I can't speak to that because I really don't listen to a lot of modern rap in English. So, <laughs> um, but I think it's beautiful. <laughs> oh yeah, and like I, she, she, like I, I feel like she's just you know going a mile a minute with mm-hmm. so many different ideas, right? You know, she, she, she establishes herself as a strong, independent woman who don't need no ex. You can't match this rapper slash actress. She's referencing the fact that she is both a rapper and an actress. Yeah, uh, more powerful than Cleopatra's two Cleopatras, bomb graffiti on the tomb of Nefer- Nefertiti. Yeah, yeah, she's a queen. Yeah, yeah, empress. Uh, I also, I like this one. Now hear this mixture where hip hop meets scripture, develop a negative into a positive picture. I feel yeah. like that's her trying to rewire her mind to find the positives. Yeah. You know, you, you, you have to, you have to look at things optimistically. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's easy to dwell on the negatives where I think she's trying to be more optimistic in yeah. her approach here. I, I highlighted that too, because I, 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 that's just the, that's probably the only thing that got me through my early 20s was the like ability to, if not in myself, have people around me to help to just refocus and not to be like, not to, the negative doesn't exist to be like, hey, that is there, but don't forget about this positive thing. Don't forget about this. How about we work on this? And when we have space, deal with the negative. When we have space in our in our emotional crib (laughs) let's do it um and i just really appreciate that like in all of these things like in all of this everything is everything it's not just saying and so what it's saying everything is everything except that is the first step and then move to become a part of this everything and make it into yours make part of it into yours yes and i also like the where hip-hop meets scripture because she's not only saying like Mm. Like this album is, I feel like it's, she's saying this album is a combination, a combination of like hip hop influences, mm-hmm. you know, and her exploration of faith. Yeah. But like her approach is very much a hip hop meets scripture approach. Mm-hmm. You know, she's trying to look at the world from that perspective where yeah. it's like, I, I need to be active and I need to shock the system. Mm-hmm. I need to uh, stand up for the little guy, mm-hmm. but I also need to find, you know, I, I need my approach to be, uh, ha- have a foundation of faith. Yeah. So to speak, you know, and I, I think she was doing a lot of soul searching at this time, yeah. you know, trying to find her place in the world. And she definitely like not just in these songs that we're talking like all the songs have a lot of like Bible, Bible influences, Bi- biblical influences, like biblical lines where you're just like, OK, all yeah. right. Biblical yeah. figures. Right. And the only other thing that I, I highlighted in here was and this is still probably negative. Um uh, sometimes it seems we'll touch that dream, but things come slow or not at all, and the ones on top won't make it stop. So convinced that they might fall. I, I, I highlighted that one too. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it seems. Sometimes it seems we'll touch that dream. We'll touch that but dream. Things come slow or not at all. They come and the ones on top won't make it stop. Seeds will grow. 
it's yeah it's just it was like well yeah that's real mm-hmm, that's real yep so, and i like i like that she says sometimes it seems you know um so it's not always what it seems you know like sometimes it seems we'll t- we'll touch that dream um and so like sometimes it's like oh we're almost just there but you can totally you can totally make it right like it's just about the ones on top will make it stop i'm just like i was like who's she talking about is she talking about like the Usually, I would say the like label, but yeah, like the, the power, the powers the that be, you mm-hmm. know, the 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 one percent, you know, those with capital. It's probably like uh, gov- I think like some government stuff. Considering like what her, it could be anybody, yeah, yeah. anyone who controls the the anyone who has the power in society, right? Yeah, it's like there are so many, you know, there's the pe- so many things. The people who hold everyone else down, mm-hmm. the people who set the rules, yeah, but. Uh, you, you didn't highlight it, but I did. I think that just goes to show I'm the optimist in this relationship. <laughs> this is true. So let, let's love ourselves, and we can't fall to make a better situation. Tomorrow, our seeds will grow. All we need is dedication. Let me tell you all that. And then the chorus. Everything is everything. But I think that's her, like, conclusion, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I, we have no power over all of these bad things in, in life, right? That's true. <laughs> uh, all the injustice against the kids and everything. But what do we got to do? What what do we have power over? Well, we have power on how we treat others. Mm-hmm. It's like let's love our and and ourselves. How yeah. we treat others and ourselves. Let's love others, and we can't. Let's love ourselves. Let's love ourselves, and we can't fall to make a better situation. You know, it's like yeah. let's all come together and make things better. You know, yeah. Let's plant the seeds, and the seeds will grow tomorrow. Right? Even if it's not today, mm-hmm. it'll be better in the yeah. future. Yeah. All we need is dedication. Dedication. So, you know, I, I feel like the song is optimistic, even though. Oh, it, absolutely. Even though it is a bit like it, it's it's acceptance that you have no power over anything. Mm-hmm. But also it's optimistic saying like, well, you have a little bit. Yeah. Like just because you don't have power over something doesn't mean you don't have the power to change something. Yeah. So it's I like just, this song a lot. Yeah. Thanks, mom. In 2008, About.com ranked Everything is Everything number 66 on their 100 greatest rap songs ever. So, cool. Nice. And moving on to our last song. It's a it's a doozy. <laughs> it's called To Zion. One day, I'm going to understand... So you hear it there. Uh, this song features legendary guitarist Carlos Santana. I knew it was Santana. Yeah, I was like, mm, that sounds like Santana guitar. Yeah, no, that's that's some good. He was he was. He was like, you know, a star guest musician at the time. He was about mm-hmm. to hit it big with Smooth. Yeah. Um, very, very soon we're gonna have, you know. So smooth. Yeah, yeah. He's he's gonna he's having a career renaissance at the time. So yeah. Lauren Hill was on top of that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, to Zion is a song written to her son Zion. Yep. Zion Hill. Just in in the same vein as Willard Smith writing a song to his young son. Lauren Hill is writing a song to her young son. And we will not judge and compare them as what is better or worse. Oh, man. I, hey, nope. I said no. Will Smith's song. This is song, the love of a parent. Will They're Smith's different. song made me laugh. 
<laughs> this song made me cry. <laughs> I, li- I literally was like tearing up listening to this song because it's so touching. It's so beautiful. I just want to go re-listen to this whole album again. Uh, this song. Goes places. It, it's it's so heavy. Uh, but it's it's like so heartfelt. I just want to start off, right? Like um, just the, the very opening, right? Unsure of what the balance held, I touched my belly, overwhelmed by what I had been chosen to perform. Unsure what the balance held, I touched my belly, overwhelmed by what I had been chosen to perform. But then an angel came one day, told me to kneel down and pray, for unto me a man shall would be born. But then the angel came one day, told me to kneel down and pray for unto man child will be born. Of course, reference to, you know, like the, the, the nativity narrative Mm -hmm. in the Bible, you know, she, she takes the, like, she takes motherhood as like the utmost responsibility. You know, it's like this, she is chosen by God to father this child, just like Mary was chosen to father Jesus. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like for her, this is. So important. And she loves that little boy. <laughs> yeah. I I actually really wanted, like, because, like, ugh, this song is so beautiful. But I wanted to really, like, settle in just the couplet of, I touched my belly overwhelmed. But by what I had been chosen to perform, like, I was, like, sitting here. And it's just, that's something that I can't necessarily speak to. Not necessarily. Yeah. I can't speak to because I've never been pregnant. I'm not a mother. But like, as I sat there, I was like, I really want to know, like, like it, it, it says so much in those, like, you can almost visualize like a young, she's 22 when this album comes out, her son's already born. So she's 20, 21. I can imagine her standing in a mirror, looking at her belly and like feeling the awe of this. And that's something that I absolutely can speak to. So more mom texts, but not just my mom. I text several of my mom friends oh. <laughs> to just kind of see like what, and I, I asked really simply, I just said, um, I just said, I just wanted to know, how did you feel when you first found out you were pregnant, when it really hit you that you were creating a life inside of you? And I got some, I got a lot of really good answers. Um, Both of my sisters uh, have blessed me with nephews. (laughs) And um, one of them said uh, that she was happy, but also really scared because she wasn't sure how she was going to do it and how she was going to make it happen. Um, My other sister said she has two kids and she said for her first child, she was really excited. And for a second, she was scared because her, there's not a lot of space between those two. (laughs) And she was really afraid because her oldest was so young and her and her um, boyfriend were on the rocks at that time. And it was like, a lot all at once and i can just like sit here and imagine what it's like to like all these different women um thinking through like where like standing in the same place that this young woman is standing in in different times in their life and what they feel you know um i'm just gonna read a couple more because uh they sent them to me and i just think they're amazing 
uh, one of my friends, Pebbles, said, uh, when I first found out and had the pre positive pregnancy test in my hand, I was shocked. It didn't feel real. Like, did God say, yeah, I'll give you a child. You can do it. Uh, but for me, it didn't really hit me emotionally until I held him for the first time. Our, and our first night in the hospital, he choked on some remaining fluid. And I remember I was strapped to the bed with IVs everywhere. And when I heard him choke, I was about to rip out all the IVs to get to him. <laughs> I'm glad a nurse came in because I wasn't going to let anything happen to him. And like, like sitting here reading these, I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Like I've got a couple, right? Like another one of my friends said um, it didn't really hit her mentally until she saw the first ultrasound and she started to like really see that there was a new member of her family that she was waiting for and then lastly i asked both of our moms which oh may have been a mistake double double mom text <laughs> double mom text <laughs> and my mom said at first i was shocked and then i was scared and then i was happy and then i was sick all the dang time <laughs> but she loved it and your mom, <laughs> I love your mom. Oh no. She said, wow, I'm crying right now. I made your mother cry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> she said, it was the most joyous feeling. As the babies grew, I could feel them move inside my tummy. And it absolutely amazed me that they were a part of me and my husband. I love my kids so much. I would do anything for them. Truly the best thing that ever happened to me was having children. And I just like... <laughs> Lauren Hill took all those disparate ideas and made it, it just put them into a song because it feels very much like that like I can imagine right like just listening to the song the, the love a woman has for her child as it builds in her like when she's accepted it when she's like this is something that I want this is something that I I want in my life and I want to be able to give to this child it's it seems so overwhelming and you can just feel that like in the song, like overwhelming waves of this kind of, I don't even know, like, you know, there's so many Greek words for love. And I feel like just saying love in English is not <laughs> enough to like kind of explain what this song embodies. So she beautifully articulates the universal experience of motherhood is, is what I, I gleaned from that yeah. entire thing. You know, it's like, I was like, wow, she, she, I mean, she, she just, she took what every woman was feeling and just put words to it, you know, and like, it's just a very like, I don't know, just profound way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not enough to ever move me to have a child <laughs> biologically. Hey kids, I know I've said it before. Mm -mm, not for me. Don't want it. But like, I can understand, right? Like, cause I know we talk about this. Like I definitely want to be a mom. I, we, I, we're planning on adopting. I want that. And like this kind of thing, like moves me because I can think like, sometimes I think about like, the future child or the child that might be out there already, like waiting for us to be able to be established in a house with some kind of wealth to take care of the child. Like I can feel this. I can be moved to tears in this kind of like, am I ready for this overwhelming, beautiful, amazing task to perform to be the mother of this child? Yeah. Ugh. And of course, like very quickly after that, Lauren goes there. Uh, she describes, like, I'm like, mm -hmm. she's speaking from experience here, you know, like th this is her 
laying it out there like a diary, but it's yeah, yeah. Whoa, this crazy circumstance. I knew his life deserved a chance, but everybody told me to be smart. Look at your career, they said. Lauren, baby, use your head. But instead, I chose to use my heart. Whoa, this crazy circumstance. I knew his life deserved a chance, but everybody told me to be smart. Look at your career, they said. Lauren, baby, use your head. But instead, I chose to use my heart. Now the joy. It's like, Lauren, use your head. I chose my heart instead. I was yeah. Like, yeah. And like that she's not pulling any punches. Like that's yeah. one of those things, right? Like, like your son's going to grow up and see the song, right? And it's going to be like, somebody told you to use your head, mom. Like, yep. Because that's the world we live in. But I absolutely didn't. And just that there are so there are people that would that would say like, hey, I don't think this is the right time. Hey, I, I, I don't think that you have this is one of the options that you can do. And sometimes it literally isn't. Sometimes you, you as a woman, like you don't have the money to like support yourself, much less a child, much less be able to like provide care for that child so you can go to work or, or different things like that. Sometimes you're not in a, in a, uh, the ability to like, you're not in the place to be in a relationship that, um, gives the child two parents. Not that that's always necessary. Not that's, that's not that, that that's not what happens all the time. Cause there are definitely single mothers out there, single fathers out there that just push through. But like abortion is definitely a thing that a 20 something would think about yeah. in, in the middle of this, especially it's a consideration. Yeah. It is a consideration. I think that when I first read this, uh, when I first read this, I thought this was from her previous relationship, but it's definitely not. <laughs> right. No, um, yeah. But like with all these different things, like, do I agree with the people who have told her to do that? No, but I can understand. I can understand why they've yeah, like offered that to her and for her to say no. It, <laughs> it, it reminds me. So uh, in 2020, WWE superstar Becky Lynch, who was the man, mm -hmm. she, she was, probably the most popular wrestler in that company. Yeah. Uh, she, she got pregnant. She was having a baby. And so she, this, she had to take, uh, basically a year off. Yeah. You know, to do the pregnancy. You can't wrestle when you're pregnant. No. Um, and I remember there, I was listening to podcasts where certain wrestling personalities, uh, criticized her for getting pregnant while at the top of her career. And I was like, yeah, I don't think that's, you know, so it's like there are people out there who are saying like, hey, having this baby is bad for your career. Uh, it's still happening. Yeah. So it's like, I believe Lauren when she said this happened. And, and it's like, you know, I think the point of the song also is it's like, unless you are bearing that child, you don't understand. You don't. Yeah, And it's like, <laughs> you don't an, get a say. <laughs> an outsider shouldn't have the say or, or you know, their opinion isn't really founded. Yeah. Like this has nothing to do with you Bye now. And I, I, again, I get it. Right. Like I'm sure there were family members. I'm sure there were like people close to her, like confidants that said these things. And I think that's going to happen regardless. But at the end of the day, this has nothing to do with you. Whatever I choose, you know, Yeah. though I may need emotional support. 
<laughs> no matter what I choose. Like Willard Smith, <laughs> like oh, Will gosh. Smith, Lauren does, you know, sing about uh, hoping for the best for her son, you know, mm -hmm. in the future. It's like whatever the endeavors are. Now let me pray to keep you from the perils that will surely come. See life for you, my prince has just begun. So obviously she's, mm -hmm. you know, just hoping for the best for her baby. How beautiful is nothing more than two way to tie his door. I've never been in love like this before. Now let me pray to keep you from the perils that will surely come. See life for you, my prince has just begun. And I thank you for choosing me. Uh, on that note, I looked it up just to see what the heck Zion is up to today. <laughs> I, I was curious. I had mm -hmm. no idea. So this is an article from 2017. So who knows what else has happened? But Zion Marley <laughs> uh, just welcomed a baby boy named Zephaniah. Ah. So Lauren Hill is now grandma. Nice. Good job, Lauren. I mean, you didn't do anything for that part, but nice. Yeah, so Congrats. congratulations, Zion. Congratulations, Zion. Um, I was going to say that uh, one of the lines in here that I, I really appreciate, especially after going through all those other songs, having to live. Uh, I've never been in love like this before. That was, I think that was the line that like made me tear up. <laughs> Cause I was just like, this is such a genuine yeah. like love that she's discussing here that it's just like, wow. Okay. Like there's a purity yeah. in her description that made me like, I don't know. It's just like, it's touching. Yeah. Like this line deserves what was in the X factor, which was, no one loves you more than me and no one ever will. Yeah. And she found like, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this, she, she had love to give and she finally like, Oof. I think she realized what it was that needed that love, you know, <laughs> <laughs> crying at the table. <laughs> and then, um, the only other like lines that I, I highlighted, uh, were, and I thank you for choosing me to come through unto life to be. Mm -hmm. A beautiful reflection of his grace, for I know that such a gift so great is only one God could create. And I'm reminded every time I see your face, you know, it's yeah. like her seeing her son is like this true blessing. Yeah. And I thank you for choosing me to come through unto life to be a beautiful reflection of his grace. See, I know that. Um, I, I think it's very profound. Yeah. And like even his name. Yeah. To Zion, right? I was like, I had to look up like, you know, the, the, obviously the different meanings of Zion, mm -hmm. right? But it's like, it, it could mean Jerusalem. You know, it's a mm -hmm. name for Jerusalem, the promised land or the, you know. Mountain of the Lord. Like, you know, the, the kingdom of the Lord, you know, mm -hmm. the afterlife, that kind of thing. It's like, you know, the, the kingdom of heaven is also could be referred to as Zion. So huh. it's like to her, her son is a window to God. Yeah. Oof. And I mean, whether you're religious or not, like I have heard from new parents, not just mothers, but new parents like that first. I'm sure it like lasts, but just kind of the it's a spiritual experience to to look at the child that is a creation of you and your partner 
You yeah. know, like I, I like I don't even know what to say. It's like this about transcendent that, like, experience that, like you know, almost seems magical. Yeah, like I again, we've never been in this situation, yeah. but I can only imagine just kind of the the awe, the miracle. You know? Yeah. Hmm. I, I think that's all I have to say about design. I was well, like. I do want to say though, like that's something that we didn't even like touch on, like with all the stuff that the diss tracks, the the sadness, the heartache, the like putting up with the world is the way it is. Like this is the first time joy, and she says it over and over again. Like now, the joy of my life, the joy of my world, is in this child. You know, like that. At <sighs> I feel like this album is a complete portrait of this woman. Yeah. You know? It's like the the full spectrum of emotion that is mm. humanity is mm. present in this album. So people are like, well, how come Lauren Hill never released another one? It's like, I don't think she needed to. She's like, I gave you everything that I am. Right. <laughs> everything is Lauren Hill. <laughs> like, ugh. it. it's such a, like, I think that was the thing that was just like, it's such a masterpiece. I know we're going to talk about the fact that it won awards, but it is a masterpiece of femininity. Yes. And it should be praised. <laughs> like, uh, like it, because it's not all about her, right? Like there's so many like R&B and rap things that are just like, yeah, I did the greatest and I'm blah, 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 blah. Like this is like, it is about her, but it is about her experiences as a human with other humans whether those were negative or positive or anything like that. It's about like, we didn't go for songs. It's about her childhood. It's about how she grew up. It's about all the things that she's been through yep. from zero to 22 <laughs> and how much life we can live in that time. I think it's it's like a disservice to the youth of the world when we're like, oh, you're just so young. Like you haven't really seen or done anything where I'm like, You've seen when enough. You, right? Like, it was like, do you forget how it was to be young? Like, I'm in my 30s and I don't ever want to be young again. Like, if there was like, we can turn back time. Nope. <laughs> Either pause it or skip it forward. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to live the amount of life that we live when we're that young because you feel, you feel immortal and untouchable. And because you do, you get into so much crap. Like, the the reason you gain wisdom in your older years is because of all the stupid stuff you do during this time. Ugh. <laughs> just so this album's a work of art. Needless to say, uh, we recommend this album. Absolutely. Yeah, like I feel like this is one of those like I don't say this a lot, but like there there are like albums that have been released that are just like must listens mm -hmm. it's like you you can't appreciate music until you listen to this yeah you know? it's like they, whoever they they publish that like you know a thousand albums to listen to before you die mm -hmm. it's like no no this is like i, I mean this is among them yeah you know it's like it's very important yeah and i understand people have different musical tastes and maybe you'll listen to this you're like it's not for me do it anyway just get go through because there's going to be something that is for because baby Kid, it is for you. It's for every single one of us. Yep. Man, woman, straight, gay, by pan, all those other things. Dog, put it on for your cats. <laughs> it's for everything that breathes. Put it on for your pet rock. Oh. Uh, before, I'm sorry if I clipped. <laughs> so before I we move on to what the world thought about the miseducation of Lauren Hill, let's end with another skit of with the kids. All right. Just let's let's end on the the, the subject of love. All right.
Okay, how many people in here have ever been in love? I know none of the guys gonna raise their hand, but how many of y'all ever been in love? Well, I know none of the guys been in love. We don't get in love, right? Oh, let this black man right here tell what his idea of love is. Because now all the time we hear young black men talk about love. About your personal definition. Don't tell me what Webster thinks. Huh? Do everything for that person. Okay, everything like what? Explain. Let him talk, come on. If I asked him to talk about a fancy car, he'd be right on point. But we want to talk about love. You can do it. What do you think? You said you love somebody. You should know why you love them, right? The way they act. Uh-huh. The way they carry themselves. Stuff like that. Okay. And they just stand out. It's like sometimes it don't even matter like what they wear or what they look like. It's like that way. You know, yeah. you know that you want to talk to him because he stands out. It's like he got a glow or something. That's, That's deep, what I'm talking about. I thought that was a beautiful point. Mm-hmm. That was a long clip, but you know, I feel like she 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 put this that she put that clip at the end of Two Zion on purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. What does love mean? It's like all these young people telling them what they think love means. Where yeah. it's like Lauren just got done telling her, telling everybody what she thought love was. Yeah. And so, then like, let's hear it from the youth. Yeah. What my son might say one day. <laughs> so that's that. What did the world think? The Miseducation of Lauren Hill debuted at number one on the Billboard 200, becoming the first album by a solo female rapper to peak and debut at number one in the U.S. Its first week sales remain the highest first week sales for a debut album by a female artist in the 20th, 20th century and the highest for a female rapper ever. Get it. It held the record for the longest charting debut album by a female rapper on the Billboard 200 at 92 weeks for over 21 years before finally being surpassed by Cardi B in 2018. Mm, I do remember that. No, that's so wow. <laughs> it sold 1 million copies in less than a month and 2.9 million copies by the end of the year, becoming the top rap album of the year, according to Billboard, topping the Billboard year-end top R&B hip-hop albums chart, making it the only album by a female artist to accomplish that feat. (sighs) Worldwide, the album has sold over 20 million copies, making it one of the best-selling albums of all time, the best-selling album by a female rapper, and the best-selling neo-soul album of all time. She deserves it. (laughs) Making all that money. This album definitely deserves it. And in 2021, it was certified diamond by the Recording Industry Association of America, earning Hill the Guinness World Record for being the first female rapper to reach diamond status. All right. In 2021. Yeah. The album received widespread critical acclaim with most critics praising its themes and subject matter along with Hill's artistic range. Hmm. Entertainment Weekly called it, quote, an album of often astonishing power, strength, and feeling. The New York Times found it, quote, miraculous and exceptional. And the Chicago Tribune deemed it, quote, a vocal tour de force with arrangements that, quote, bristle with great ideas. I don't think we've ever had an album yet that only has good reviews. Don't you dare. But all that didn't stop some critics from nitpicking. Q Magazine felt the music's only flaw was, quote, a lack of memorable melody on some songs. Excuse me? On some, we didn't talk about all of them. Pitchfork complained that Hill's, quote, sweet tooth for cheesy 70s tunes rears its ugly head more than once. Excuse me? And the Los Angeles Times felt, quote, that Hill's voice was too thin to carry such heavy subject matter. Leave the chat. (laughs) 
The miseducation of Lauryn Hill topped numerous critics' polls of the year's best albums, including Rolling Stone, Billboard, Spin, and Time. Nice. So they all said, like, yeah, this was the best album of the year. Because it was. Hill received 10 nominations at the 1999 Grammy Awards, making her the first woman ever to be nominated that many times in one year. I she did all deserved. She took home five awards. Wow. The first woman to do so in one night. Oh, my gosh. Uh, She won for Best New Artist, Best R&B Song, Best Female R&B Vocal Performance, Best R&B Album, and Album of the Year. I just, I'm clapping. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it right now because you guys would hear it. But, oh. The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill was the first hip-hop album ever to receive Album of the Year. Mm. So, good job, Well-deserved. The album also won four MTV Video Music Awards, including Best Female Video and Video of the Year for the music video for the song Doo-Wop, That Thing. Mm-hmm. Becoming the first hip-hop video to win the latter award. The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill also received wins and nominations at the NAACP Image Awards, the mm. Billboard Music Awards, the American Music Awards, and the Soul Train Awards. Is this our best album? <laughs> I mean, like, our, our like, best album? I was like, like, quantifiably, it yeah. might be. like, when we get like, to the QQs, this is, we're not even going to talk about it. It's like <laughs> our, our most, one. like, decorated album yeah. we've ever talked about is probably this one. Yeah. yeah. More than Michael Jackson. Yeah, more than Bad. You know, I was like, Thriller, you know, obviously Thriller and Bad made more money than this. And, mm. and Dangerous, I think. Yeah. But like... But oh, it, it is... In terms of just like pure decorations. <laughs> Diamond. <laughs> All right. What of the legacy of the miseducation of Lauryn Hill? In 1998, members of New Ark, you know, the studio musicians right. that helped make this album, sued Hill, her management, and her record label. Stating that Hill, quote, used their songs and production skills, but failed to properly credit them for their work. Wow. Yep. Reportedly, while recording the album, when Hill was asked about providing contracts and documentation to the musicians, she replied, quote, we all love each other. This ain't about documents. This is blessed. <laughs> Which I was like, that's not good, Lauren. No, she was also 20. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that, that was not a but smart move. No, nope, those men smart. deserve to be credited. Yes, absolutely. Anyway, the suit was settled out of court in February, 2001 for a reported $5 million. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it made the money. The miseducation of Lauren Hill has been credited by multiple publications with helping hip hop and Neo soul cross over into the mainstream. Yeah. In 2015, the miseducation of Lauren Hill was deemed quote, culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant by the library of Congress and was selected for inclusion in the national recording registry becoming the first debut album by a solo artist to receive this honor. Huh. The album is also preserved in the Harvard University's Loeb Music Library in the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History. Oh, okay. Yeah. The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill has since appeared on a number of lists ranking the greatest albums ever made. Mm-hmm. According to Acclaimed Music, it is the 113th most acclaimed album based on such rankings. Mm. Like just based, like quantifiable rankings okay. on like the greatest albums. Uh, this is like up there you yeah. know, within the top 200. And where did Lauren Hill go from here? Uh, it's quite a journey. Oh, no, because this will be the last time we see Lauren Hill on this yes, show. Yes, yes, it will. <laughs> she came in with a bang. Yeah, I was like, there was one other chance we could have potentially had talked about her. Like, but yeah, her, this was like her only album. Yeah. Anyway, she embarked on the Miseducation Tour beginning in 1999, playing select shows in the US, UK, Europe, and Japan. Feeling overwhelmed by the pressures of fame, Lauren Hill largely left the public eye in the year 2000, focusing on her family and her faith. But she has sporadically resurfaced over the years with new music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, 
I, I have a few highlights. I, this is not comprehensive, but I have some highlights. Yeah. She unveiled new material at an MTV Unplugged performance in 2001, which was later collected as MTV Unplugged number 2.0, her last LP release ever. Hmm. It was a live album yeah. done on this, MP, uh, this MTV special. That was the last it's album that she shining. made. <laughs> she has since only released seven new singles. Hmm. So she'll release a single every so often, yeah. do a guest spot here and there. Yeah. But that's it. I mean, she doesn't have to work. Right. She just wants to be a mom. Yeah. She's got, like se- she's got like seven kids or something. Does she? Yeah. Okay. I was like, maybe she, she I was going to say she had all that inspiration from uh, being pregnant. She just needs to be, get pregnant again so that she can write. Nope. Never mind. <laughs> she's been pregnant several yeah. times. Fuji's reunited in 2004 for a performance at Dave Chappelle's block party, uh-huh. followed by an appearance at the 2005 BET Awards. The group toured briefly that year, but split due to tensions between the members. <laughs> so I was reading some like testimonials on what happened during this period and mm-hmm. like Lauren Hill was super difficult to work with. Ooh. She was like making demands. She she insisted that everyone including her bandmates refer to her as Miss Hill. Hmm. I am Miss Hill. Okay. So it and like, you know, she was she would show up late. Ooh. Uh tardy and and just Ooh. inconsistent, un- irresponsible. The things that I hate worse than artists. Yeah, so <laughs> Miss Hill seems like she, she got difficult to work with that that age. Maybe yeah, I prob- probably. I mean, she's been out of it and she's in her own community and maybe she's referred to as Miss Hill. Like, yo. I don't know. <laughs> don't put me in a new situation. I'm going to enforce the things that make me comfortable. Anyway, Miss Hill continued to tour sporadically over the years. Two mixed response. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there I I've, I've seen she in a very Axel Rose move, likes oh, to no. show up she likes to show up late 2 hours to shows. Nope. In one in one case she showed up so late to her gig that she was only able to perform like 40 minutes of music before the venue said, no, we got to turn the lights off. Wow. Angering fans. Absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. I will yeah. not. I am her, not her, supportive of that. Her musical and vocal quality have been questioned. Like mm. she, she, some nights she does okay. Some nights not so good. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. She's just kind of very inconsistent these days. Mm. In 2010, Ms. Hill joined the Rock the Bells Hip Hop Festival series, and as part of that year's theme of rendering classic albums, she performed The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill in its entirety for the first time ever. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that, that, videos of that is probably out there. Probably. In 2012, Ms. Hill was charged with three counts of tax fraud or failing to file taxes on income earned between 2005 and 2007. Oh. In 2013, she was sentenced to three months in prison for failing to file her taxes. And three months house arrest after afterwards as part of a year of supervised probation. Oh, wow. So, yes, she did go to prison for a little while. Wow. Pay your taxes, kids. Yes, pay your taxes, kids. Since her release, she has continued to tour sporadically, including a 2018 concert tour commemorating Miss Education's 20th anniversary. Miss Hill is widely considered to be one of the greatest rappers of all time and has been named the greatest female rapper and the most popular woman in hip hop. Her music has influenced countless artists, including Beyonce, Drake, Nicki Minaj, Kanye West, Adele, Jay-Z, Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, Childish Gambino, and Lin-Manuel Miranda, just to name a few. <laughs> and that is The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. Wow. Yeah. We did it. Respect. Respect. Despite all of that extra information, I still recommend this album. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I will go ahead and just cut the discussion off. My it, album one. 
Your album is better than Liquid Tension Experiment. No argument here. N- nobody cried in your album. <laughs> it, yeah, it was like, it's, it's, you, you can't argue with all that. No, you can't. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Lauren Hill, you win. 1998. Yeah. You're the winner. But we all know that albums are not just judged by the songs the music listed alone. on the back of the CD case. You're right, because <laughs> album cover <laughs> albums can also be judged by their album artwork. So I have here the album art for Liquid Tension Experiment and the Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Uh, let's decide which one was better. Okay. So Liquid Tension Experiment looks like someone exploded Barney and then put <laughs> wet and then put wet all over him. <laughs> Excuse me. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me Barney's I'm wrong. blood on the floor. Oh gosh, it's his, it's purple and it's green. Barney's been vaporized. It's, it's blood and flesh of Barney <laughs> with water. So it's purple and green, like splashy fluid. It's like tie dye. Supposed to, it's supposed to be like tie dye on the floor or something like that. Yeah. And then there's like water drops coming from the center. And in the center, liquid tension is written in green in what I would call Aladdin font. And exper- Aladdin, Aladdin font. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me everything I'm saying yeah, is you're, correct. Yeah, you're right, you're right. <laughs> and um, experiment is written, I mean, in block letters, it makes me either think of spearmint gum or like Excalibur. So, uh, and then on top, it has the names of all of the participants. Tony Levin, John Pichucci, Mike Portnoy, and Jordan Rudis. Yep, that's it. And I was like, it's psychedelic. It's striking. I like the colors. It's striking like, like, Except now I, I'm reminded of Barney. But, <laughs> but uh, I was like, I do like the colors. But th- yeah, I was like, this. it's not a great album cover. <laughs> no, I agree. It's not. It's okay. It's okay. But. <laughs> what's, what's up with Lauren Hill? Lauren Hill is a school desk, um, as you would find in any... It's like an old school. An old, yeah, old school school desk. What are the schools in New York? They have numbers. PS one eighteen. Yes, public school. PS. So it looks like something you would see in a PS one eighteen. Is that a specific reference that's to Hay- Arnold? Hey Arnold? Yeah. <laughs> and um, in the desk, there is like a little groove where a pencil is resting, and then um, Lauren, the miseducation of Lauren Hill is scratched into the face of the desk like one would do sitting in a class being bored and then her entire face is also etched into it it's really cool and artful and nice it's like it was like i don't think it's like an aesthetically pleasing album cover to me Mm -hmm. but it's also extremely striking yeah and like i think just iconic by the nature of being the album cover for this album Mm -hmm. so for that i think it's effective yeah i and i it is i enjoy it i like i like it I like it. I, I think it's a great album cover. Yeah. It's not great art, yeah. but it's a great album cover. Agreed. So, yeah. And it is also the better album cover. Good job, Lauren Hill. You <laughs> won it all. Yeah. You took home all the marbles. All of the marbles. Oh, man. What's next? Do we, we talk oh, runners up? Runners up. Runners up is next. All right. We're going to run us up. So we're going to tell, you know, if we weren't listening to these albums, what what, what have we what been listening to? What would we have been listening to? In fact, um, we didn't have too many runners up. Uh, if we didn't listen to the Liquid Tension Experiment, for you, we would have listened to Buckethead's Colma. Colma? Okay, Buckethead. That would have been another instrumental album, by the yeah. way. Yeah. So Buckethead is a avant-garde experimental uh, guitar player. Uh, he wears a mask and has a, bu- a KFC bucket on his head. Yep. Uh, he's quite a character. But Colma, the story behind that album was 
he his mom was in the hospital at the time mm. like she was you know bedridden in the hospital and he wanted to write her music that she could listen to while waiting in the hospital mm. so he wrote this very mellow atmospheric album where it's just like very pleasant easy to listen to tunes oh. and uh, i remember listening to that album a lot while i did my math homework in high school because <laughs> it's very just soothing soothing it's a therapeutic album mm. uh and the other album that we could have been listening to for you is offspring's americana Ah, the ah that's the one also with... in, in an instrumental. No, that's the song with Pretty Fly for a White Guy. I'm Pretty Fly for a Fly Fly. Nice. I, for some reason, thought that song was older, like that... from the 60s. No. It was like that. that so my, <laughs> my older sister really liked The Offspring. And uh, when I was just getting into music and I was like rating her music catalog, mm-hmm. that was one of those those bands I gravitated towards. Like, yeah. Uh, Smash, their fir- one of their first albums. And this one just have a lot of really fast-paced, high-energy pop punk songs. Yeah, and it's was good. right up your alley. Yeah, it's good stuff. I like it. Yep. Yeah, cool. Offspring, good stuff. Good stuff, I suppose. I don't know. I've never really heard of them. Um, and then for me, the only runner-up that I have that we could have been listening to was In Sync's In Sync. Oh, the 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 debut. It, we haven't. Yeah, we didn't get to listen to them, but that would like be the trifecta of the the boy bands, right? We, <laughs> we listened to Baxter Boys in 90, uh, mm-hmm. 1996 music. We listened to 98 Degrees in 98 movies. Oh yeah, and uh, you know, and sinks the third. Yeah, the third of the trinity. Well, of boy bands. It would have happened, but Lauren Hill, she she was very awarded. Yes, yeah. <laughs> there was no way she was gonna miss this one. I she definitely was in. My scope way more than NSYNC was at that but time. We're in the late 90s, folks. Yeah. The boy bands, they've taken over. They have taken over, indeed. It's the boy band mania. It is. But that's runners up. That's runners up. And so, that's that's about our show, right? Yeah. Got some plugs. We do have some plugs. All right. So you can follow our show on Twitter and on Instagram at Media Mate Show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We put up things like polls so you can vote <clears throat> on which album you thought was better as, as if you had even heard of the liquid tension experiment, <laughs> but you can vote on the album art too. Yeah. Uh, we like to share <laughs> you can vote on a exploded Barney or a desk. We'll we'll share videos, maybe performances mm-hmm. or music videos or, you know, fun, random things that we find right, right, right. throughout the week. Um, you can do us a few favors. You can tell a friend about the show, please. Yeah. Um, and you can follow our podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Mm-hmm. You can leave us reviews, five stars or good things. Yes. Comment. Please. All that stuff. You know, yeah. Just reach out to us. Tell us you're listening. And uh, as for me personally, you can follow me on Twitter at Rod the Master. I write for a video game website called ZeldaDungeon.net. So if you like the Nintendo series, The Legend of Zelda, you can check that out. And I host a wrestling podcast YouTube show called Keep <laughs> Kayfabe. Uh, it's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E, where we follow the careers of our favorite professional wrestlers. Um, what do you got? Um, if you would like to find me. I am on YouTube as Taming Tales. I am not currently putting anything up, but you can see my backlog of stuff. Alrighty. I guess that's our show. I don't have an ending theme picked out. Do you have one? Oh, no. Um, I didn't realize that was a... Nope. Mm. Is there a Lauren Hill song that you think we should just end the show on? <laughs> a Fuji song. Let's just go back to we, some we of the can old... Do that. Yeah, just like some of the old times. And it's just the one Fuji song. We're going to go off real slow. Um... Oh, crap. What is the name of the song? Kill Him Softly? Yes. All right. I guess we're closing out with Kill Him Softly. Yeah. We're going to see the band before they fell apart. (laughs) But 
before the bad times. Oh, no. Before the empire. Before the empire. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and that's our show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next time with our TV of 1998. And remember, kids, the best way to kill him softly is with the diss track. <laughs>